the minute a lad had asked me for a ticket, he'd go into the book. He could have 50, 60, 70 requests. They would look the man he then and he kind of went through the list of who deserved the most. <laughs> there could be a lot of lads texting. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Yes, indeed. Very welcome along to O2BAM on this Thursday morning, the 16th of June. O2BAM, of course, as usual, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Busy, busy show coming up for you between now and 10 o'clock this morning. Shane Hannan here with you. And I'm delighted, honoured, uh, privileged maybe, Johnny, as well, to be joined in studio uh, by the one and only Johnny Ward. How are you, Johnny? Who's joined us today? (laughs) (laughs) It's yourself, Johnny. What's the story? It's good, well. good to uh, good to be back in the studio with you. You've um, you've risked the the first shorts of the of the the calendar year. Um, so you have this morning, Johnny, for all the the viewers. You'll not be able to see underneath that table, but uh, Johnny Ward has the, the pins out this to. morning, folks. Yeah, um, I, the the Ross uh, is going on in Ireland. The obviously the iconic bike race and. Um, Apparently they were complaining about the heat yesterday, like when it's like 23 degrees, 22 degrees, something like, I think it's going to hit the guts of 50 in Spain this week, so uh, it's, uh, but it's nice weather in Ireland, to be fair, yeah, we've had a nice week of it, and um, summer's here, isn't it? I saw a couple of clips yeah. of uh, of the Ross uh, flying past people in, uh, I think it was in, was it in Whitlow, Dublin, was it in both yesterday, possibly? Starts off around Tala, I think. Tala, and then right. I think they're going to Castle Island today um, in North Kerry, so... Um, the speed these lads hit... There's like literally a gust of wind hitting the the, the audience or the the viewers as soon as it goes past. Like it's incredible speeds. I know you're a, you're a keen cyclist yourself, an avid man on the on the two wheels, Johnny. So you'd appreciate those speeds. Just looking at the speed that uh, the average speed yesterday of Archie Ryan, who's a young cyclist. So I've I've actually seen him flying around the Wicklow uh, military road, but his average speed is 45 kilometers an hour yesterday over 140 k. Top speed was 75. 75 wouldn't be that high for cyclists on a given day but mm. uh, it's um, it's mad then when you get into like when you just get into a pack you can kind of somewhat relax whereas mm. it, it's weird like it's it's one thing about horse racing that I'm surprised at that in horse racing the horse who's out in front um, is actually kind of suited whereas in in cycling if you're on the bike like you're completely disadvantaged being out in front um, it's just all the like the the air balance or whatever it is, like you if you get into a a train as they call it, like you can basically sit on someone's wheel. Um, but Archie Ryan, yes, I don't know what wheels he was sitting on. Um, Taggart won the stage, but Archie Ryan, like young lad, just looking at his stats, forty five kilometer average. But then the the most impressive stat of the last few days was arguably um, um, Nathan Collins' stats, which the FEI put up. Total distance over ten k. That's I think that's fairly average. Yeah. Um, High intensity, 1.82, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Max speed, 32.8 kilometres an hour. For a set or half. That's like on a bike stuff. Like, yeah, like I, that's that's pretty incredible. So I, I, mean, I went to cycle last night and I, I've been away for like two weeks or so. I felt really groggy. Like you got to go out and do a bit of exercise. I was like, Nathan Collins is, is nearly running as fast as like, he's running faster than my average on the bike here, comfortably. Um, he's young though, Johnny. He's got, he's got a, no, no offence, he's got a, he's got a few years on you, you know? Uh, he, Sorry to bring it up. He does, yeah, he does. How do you clock 33 kilometres an hour though as a centre back? You'd wonder. Do you know I, what I mean? Like at what point in the game did he? See, he, he holds a high line, so it, like, mm. unless he get caught in behind it the odd time, but he didn't, he, he doesn't really get caught in behind Nathan Collins. No. Uh, it could have been for the run for the goal, but then again, like, 
he's also dribbling a football at that point so there's only a certain speed you can reach but um, maybe like, it was the run for the interception for the goal. Do you yeah, know potentially. Pace? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Like that was his highest, highest speed. That was his max speed. Max yeah, speed. I don't know. I don't. That's recorded from the Oaks. They have, but like, I'd, li- I'd like to know if anyone follows the data. Like, what is that unusual for a centre back? Is it unusual for a footballer? Um, a lot was made of the goal and. Uh, Spent a lot of time yesterday talking to people about the goal and the debates. Dan was on with Joe, like, what was the best goal that Ireland scored and all that. Um, and I think it was one of the moments where, like, you know, he, he wins the ball back, he's feeling good about life. Beats <laughs> one player, he's feeling, like, very good about life. And beats another player, he's thinking, Jesus, this is the best thing ever. And then by the time, I think he kind of somewhat flukes the position where he got onto the striking of the ball and then he's like it almost probably seemed like the most routine thing in the world and then we got into a debate on, this, on the bike yesterday about and I kind of agreed with the lad the lad I was cycling with his ex-league of Ireland he's a good footballer and he said Nathan Collins finish that's normal for a footballer it doesn't matter that he's a centre back and yeah, I kind of agree yeah. well if you look at like Gaelic football now the outside the foot finish far more technical than what Nathan Collins suggested like from 40 yards mm. is normal now yeah. very normal so I don't th- I think this, I think a, Almost too much was made of the outside of the foot because he just made it look like somebody well, he had no was doing choice. He, he had, he had no choice. Yeah. He couldn't go on his left, so he couldn't turn back on his right. So it was literally the only. Um, and I'm, I'm, I guess, I'm trying to play down like the hype now because I think I got carried away uh, like uh, everyone yesterday. Well, like you you know? said he could be one of Ireland's greatest oh, players, which abso- is absolutely. Like, Damien Delaney backed up that hype. I was listening to mm-hmm. himself with Joseph and Owen on, on the show yesterday, and he, I mean, he's a massive fan. Look, that's a centre half. Uh, uh, that's the centre half club. You know, Damien mm-hmm. Delaney knows a good centre half when he sees one. Like, do, do you think um, speaking of the goal like that little touch into his knee I mean he can't have meant that can no, he no no like surely I, I, don't, I don't think he did but uh, he if Troy Parrott does that you're like all day long he meant that yeah um, it was like it was one of those moments where everything sort of clicked for him but it doesn't click without having 33 kilometre an hour pace I think like he was so quick it was really quick like to see a centre half doing that um, I think it's if you, if you think of like the, the Irish where we're going and like you know Four points from the four games. It's not a great return. Like let's mm. let's not get carried away. It's not a great return. But when you think of where the Iron team are going, like what does that say to you when your centre back is willing to do something like that? Do you know what I mean? I just think it's a really it's really uplifting. Yeah. Like, and it's tough to know our our, our best defence at the minute, especially given the the gap now between these fixtures and the, the games in September. But like Shane Duffy. Look, Shane Duffy brings you a goal from a corner, goal from a set piece. He doesn't bring you what Nathan Collins brings you. Like, can you can you fit them both in? The, like, is, is Collins on the right hand side of that back three? Is Duffy left in the middle for his experience and his his leadership skills? Like, what's your? I, like, I and listening to you yesterday, and I think you, what you said was was what a lot of people feel. It's tough to know anyone's favourite Irish eleven at the minute. It's mm. impossible to pick it, which is a great mm. which is a great problem to have, uh, and that's a problem Stephen Kenny has for September, but. You can fit. Can you fit Collins and, and Duffy into that team? You, you you can, I guess. Like I mean, I I I'm not going to lie. I mean, how much have I seen of Nathan Collins? Even um, in terms of like he's he's played the last four games for Ireland, but like this was a complete revelation playing in the centre. I I get I get jittery when Duffy is is on the ball very much. Like, and I think he hasn't. I don't think he's improved. I think his Scotland performance was probably. Uh, uh, up there with the worst in terms of his possession like he's still brilliant from set pieces and should have scored set up the goal against Scotland should have scored against Ukraine um, but I, I'd, I'd be sort of looking to youth now I think Amoba Medele is a superb footballer I thought yeah, he's we, we forget about him yeah. just because he's injured you know um, like Lennon did well as well and like I know they weren't great for the goal but 
I kind of forgive them a bit there. It happened very fast, and their players the back post, and McLean was probably more at fault. McLean's not a left back though. Um, I'd be going with Darrow O'Shea, Oma Mabadele, and Collins as the back three. Um, that do, that gives you a left sided player that's right footed. But there isn't an obvious kind of alternative there, really. Brings your average age down nicely. Yeah. Um, the, the the question marks then are sort of like uh, probably more midfield than up front. Like, But I think Parrot and Obafemi have done a, enough now. I was very disappointed in Robinson. Maybe he's tired, but I don't know. Like, Maybe he is tired. He, he'd a poor, he definitely had a poor um, international break. And um, I thought Obafemi Ob- gives us a spark that makes a different team and gives us an outball where he has electric pace. And he and Parrot did look like they kind of knew a bit about each other's game. Midfield is probably the most difficult one, I think, you know. Yeah, it's tough to pick. Like I'm just looking here at, at producer Column sending me a Nathan's first eleven from uh, from yesterday's he'd show when everyone's fit. Well, he'd Keller and Gold, but the back like that's, three, that's the most. I mean, I, I can't see that. that at all. Like I think Bazunu, like Keller, <laughs> Keller just hasn't. So he's all, you're already disagreeing with it from the first player on. Well, okay, well, Keller. I, I don't. I mean, I don't. If I were Stephen Kenny, it's not a debate. Bazunu is my number one goalkeeper. Bazunu is is. Um, I still don't think Keller has actually done enough to say that. Like Bazunu's had such a run of games for Ireland where he's been. Unbelievable! Yeah, like, he's been and like that save against Luxembourg last week. Yeah. He's probably not quite as good on the ball as Kelleher, but he is a goalkeeper. Remember, and he would have saved the goal against Ukraine, in my view. Like Bizzuno makes better saves than that. Um, and Kelleher, like Kelleher has been very good for Liverpool, but I don't see that he's done enough to warrant being ahead of Bizzuno. And Bizzuno would have, I think Bizzuno will be starting again. Like I, I, I don't think that's much of a debate for me. Is he is Kelleher vocal enough? I, I watch some of these games and I'm thinking, okay, I know he's youngish. But mm. your goalkeeper is the player who sees the entire pitch before them. He needs to be probably the most vocal player in the pitch. You think of a Peter Schmeichel, a Van der Sar, um, you know, a Jersey Dudek, someone who's very mm-hmm. communicative. Like Kelleher, for me, doesn't do enough talking on the pitch. Obviously, the camera's not on him the entire time, so we can't see what, what's going on the whole time. But I get the vibe that Bazunu maybe is slightly yeah. less afraid to kind of shout at the, the more senior I, players I have to say I didn't take any notice of that like and I wasn't at any of the games either I was working here or I was actually on holiday so I it's something maybe more noticed when you're there but it's I don't think it's an issue with Bazunu who seems to have matured you were, you were busy selling yourself yeah watching um Watch like I I, I watched the um, Scottish game like on a laptop in the Blasket Islands, which doesn't even have the doesn't even have electricity. Like really, <laughs> Most so word sentence I've ever heard. Yeah, it was well, it was it was weird. It was kind of like men huddled around. Like we we literally just come to the Blasket Islands, which is this remote island where you get away from everything. And the first thing we did was set up the laptop to watch the Ireland game because the four G is unbelievable, despite <laughs> the fact that it's a deserted island. So we watched the Ireland Scotland game, and it was a great way of getting everyone in the mood because we were sort of saying like. I mean, where's Stephen Kenny's job here? And it, it just seems ridiculous that we're still having this debate. Like, we're, yeah. we're, we're on a path here. The manager um, is trying something. And do we want to chop and change again? But thankfully, thankfully, he's a smile on his face now going into the next, um, you know, going into the, the, the international later on in the year. I, I don't want my Kelleher comment to come, come across as too harsh. Like, I was, at the, I was at the Ukraine game, the home fixture, and, and I just got that vibe that the communication wasn't really there but then again he had Shane Duffy in front of him who's doing a lot of shouting anyway mm. so there's only so yeah. much you can do yeah. uh, Rob Byrne on, on YouTube uh, has a comment in Bazunu better now Kelleher has a higher ceiling long term which is a fair point if I, Kelleher I, gets game time I, I, don't, I don't really see that though Bazunu like is athletically he's a monster and um, he, he, like I've always thought Kelleher doesn't really look like a goalkeeper. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. Bazuna does. Kelleher is like, I think he's in few after the League Cup final as well. Like he's just still has his cork axe and just seems like a proper, proper grounded lad yeah. who's been very good for Ireland. Like I'm not saying he hasn't, but I don't know. I mean, 
It'd be an interesting poll. Like, who does he start in the next game? I think Pizzuno starts. I think Pizzuno, Pizzuno got injured. It's not like he'd lost a form. So, and Pizzuno's been incredibly good for Ireland. Like, incredibly good. He's been better than Kelleher for me. So, he should be the starting goalkeeper. It's funny the, the, how spoiled for choice we, we We're get only at the goalkeeper here, aren't we? We're only the goalkeeper. <laughs> but, like, in certain positions, we get so spoiled for choice as a, as a, as a nation. I don't know why. Like, we had for a while there the, the whole Coleman Doherty thing at right back. Mm. You know, in the, the kind of 02 era, we were probably spoiled for choice in strikers, funnily enough, as well. Like, it's it just one of those things. If we could just get, you know, every position on the pitch, I'm not asking for much here, but every position on the pitch covered, like, at centre half at the minute. Yeah. We're just spoiled. We have, I mean, even our sort of six, seven choice options there are not bad at all. Even like Seamus Coleman, I think he's done a wing back for Ireland. I mean, it doesn't make any sense if he plays wing back again because his legs don't. Well, Nathan, his legs Nathan's there. three there is Coleman, Collins, Egan. That's his three with Doherty and McLean as the as the wing backs. So Coleman, Collins, Coleman, Egan. Collins, so there's Egan. no Duffy, no Amabamadeli. Mm. So you know, is it harsh not to have Duffy in your starting team given what he's? You know, he he's rarely put a foot wrong at international level. I know he had he's that put tough. hundred feet wrong passing the ball. Like, well, yeah, Do you know what I mean. It's a big problem though. If we if we have a centre back who's such a he's basically a liability on the ball, and that's it's not criticising him. That's just he's he's a centre back. He wasn't born to pass the ball. Yeah, you can't have a team where like I do believe you're as strong as your weakest link when it comes to possession because teams will set traps for you and they'll know like basically. Look at Duffy, and if du- if Duffy's on the ball, we've a chance here. Mm. Um, he's a big threat from set pieces. I mean, that that is like you're trying to balance it out here. I don't know the answer to it, but I I I would start Colin centre back and let him grow into one of the greatest Irish players, which I think he shows that he will be. Um, Amadelli for me, it's it's a question of him coming back from injury. I I think he's a fantastic player, and he's so athletic as well. And if we could have. If you Darrow Shea, then we'll say as the other, like you have a young, pacey back three all comfortable on the ball who are actually kind of happy to be on the ball and play and that like that sets a tone for like this is a young total ball like game changer of an Irish team if, when you have three centre backs who are all like basically footballers and are no fear really like no fear and uh, the problem then is maybe like midfield I, I, I don't know the answer to the midfield situation like yeah. they've all they've all made a claim like Josh Cullen I thought he was immense the other night but after that, I don't know. I mean, well, Damien Delaney was making the point yesterday with yourselves, wasn't he? That you know, in order to have this three-five-two slash five-three-two, you need to have a lot of possession, mm. which you know, against Ukraine the other night, we we didn't really have. Uh, so you need a lot of the ball for that to work. Like I know Damien is probably lodged in that four-four-two arena, and he likes that that formation. But it's a fair point. We're going to need a lot of the ball if we continue with this with this Kenny style. Yeah. It's funny that he sort of, I don't know you say he stumbled on this, but it is a, a change from, um, I think the 352 did work better. Mm. Um, well, when you have, as you said, Parrot and, and Obafemi up front, as opposed to someone like Scott Hogan, who didn't really look at it the other night, mm. then you have more options. And then the, probably the 352 comes across a lot better when, yeah. you have, when you have those two lads up front. I also think that, like, they're, they're quite a dynamic uh, forward line. So we can win games without having an awful lot of the ball. When you have two players like that, you can, who, who have an out ball, like, um, prop. Probably left wing back's position because, in fairness to McLean, who's I think he goes down as something uh, as an, of an Irish legend at this stage, <laughs> but he's not. He's he is a bit vulnerable defensively and like closing in at a hundred caps. Yeah, this man needs a bit of credit to his name. I know a lot of people are kind of either side of the. It's a bit. He's a bit like Marmite, but I love him. Like I think he's he's attitude towards Ireland. Like I think he's. He's a fairly one-dimensional footballer, but like even like even, some of his crossing, like I thought, improved as the four games progressed. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to have like 
Kenny spoke about this. He doesn't really seem to have slowed down that much for his age. Yeah. Um, whereas others clearly have. Um, the left wing back position, though, I still think we could probably do better. Like, cause he's not he's not great defensively. Stephen, like, well, watching Stevens in the in the Scotland game, he just didn't bring much in an attacking mm. sense. And as you said, those crosses McLean brings is is an extra sphere. If you have strikers like Abafemi and Parrot in the box, you need the delivery to be right. Mm. With Stevens, I just felt like it wasn't it wasn't there. Now Stevens is a, is a great player as well, but yeah, McLean. He has that experience as well. He knows how to win games. Mm. I think he, was he pointing out himself that he's been picked for every single squad he's been made available for since wow. he first came into the squad. So he's, wow. he's clearly someone every single Irish manager has has admired and, and liked on the pitch. I, I, I think he's let himself down a bit at times with some of his social media stuff, um, which I think was a bit inflammatory and ill-advised, but um, I totally respect him for everything he's done, more or less, in his career. And the whole... Um, abuse that he's gotten in, in Britain um, for something that I think I'd totally defend him for um, just makes him more of a man really like in the fact that um, some people aren't that bothered about international football and I'm sure there are times where Ireland players called up were like I could take or leave this like we're going into a camp where we're not playing nice football we're not a particularly good team mm. um, and I may not get picked I may get picked McLean has just always been there like and yeah. he's an inspirational character I want to give people a quick uh Quick look at the some of the back pages on this Thursday morning as well, because uh, a lot of Nathan Collins and Gavin Vizunu love, it has to be said, on the, the back pages this morning. The Irish Daily Star goes with Call On Me. Prem big guns lining up for rising star Nathan. Nathan Collins admits he could have played his last game for Burnley, as Premier League big guns step up their interest in the Ireland star. Like they mention here, Newcastle, Manchester United, Liverpool and Spurs mm. in the hunt for his signature. I mean, obviously this is very much at the news and brief rumours stage, but... Um, I mean, if a big, if a top ten Premier League side could take him, that is that is huge. I I I I don't know. I mean, I think there, there's going to be so much hype about the goal. Is just like it's it's an easy sort of. Um, we love a bit of hype in this country, don't, don't we? We like, do. But we'll say that like the, not everyone, like most people, did not watch. If you're not Irish, you, most people did not watch that game the other night. But like, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands will see the goal on Twitter and social media, and then <laughs> it alerts them to Nathan Collins, and he becomes part of the the discourse. Um, and I'm sure he's been on, like. I, I saw a couple of games f- at the end of the season where he was brilliant for Burnley yeah. but I think uh, you were watching that performance the other night and like he, I, I think it would be a step back from to be playing the championship I really do yeah. Like he needs to probably go on to that level now where he's a Premier League player and you know, would, if, he, if he joined Man United tomorrow like, would you say he, that was unwarranted? Not, not at all mm. he, he's, he's been proven at championship level even with Stoke so we know that he's capable of that uh, a couple of the other headlines in the back pages La Liga accused City of breach They've, La Liga have launched an attack on Manchester City suggesting they broke financial rules to sign Erling Haaland uh, Hayes and Duggan given the all-clear cl- all uh, I see what they did there Clare's All-Ireland hopes have received a massive boost after Rory Hayes and Peter Duggan were successful in their hearings against proposed one-match bans this uh, is the, uh, the, the Times uh, the London Times and um Henry Winter just at off there Southgate must listen to the angry fans and raise his game so um, I think that we've almost been kind of we've had time to uh, escape or kind of anti-English stuff in this country or having a pop mm. with the English team because we're not doing too badly at the moment and we've kind of it's almost been lost in the narrative and then Vaughan needs to be charged over racism and uh, that's the uh, ex-England captain among six, seven others facing a hearing Michael Vaughan and uh, there's Stuart Broad celebrating a win It's funny I was in a pub in, in, at home in Monaghan last week and chatting to one of the barmen about uh, this Irish team this is bef- just after the um the Ukraine defeat they'd lost to Armenia of course a few days before and it was all negativity and I went back into the same pub yesterday evening for a bit of a feed 
and oh, it's great, isn't it? Mm. It's great. It's, it's just a, it's fun, football it's is so fickle and funny and fast moving. It's unbelievable. Like uh, I made the point: if Callum Robinson had gotten a penalty against Ukraine, I think that's a penalty. I think he's fouled. We're one nil up, and then the, the narrative changes. But anyway, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, the back page of the Irish Daily Mail this morning: the chase is on. Top clubs hunt Collins after one of strikes. With the same story there from uh, Philip Quinn on uh, where Nathan Collins might end up next season. And uh, no free pass for Rebels to future U.S. Opens. U.S. Golf Association chief Mike Wan claims it will be harder for Live Golf players to get entry to the U.S. Open in future. The USGA last week cleared the way for Live Golf players to compete in the major, which gets underway today of course in Brookline outside Boston saying it would be unfair to change a criteria once established and deny entry to those who already earn a spot in the field we'll talk to John Duggan for his uh, virtual insanity picks ahead of that US Open which of course as we said gets underway later today uh, Ascot glory is huge for O'Brien Joseph O'Brien secured his first Royal Ascot winner as a trainer as State of Rest led from pillar to post in the Prince of Wales stakes yesterday that's the back page of the Irish Daily Mail this is a mirror turf call to make so that's a play on the Burnley uh, situation for Collins and St. Baz in switch um, and we haven't I suppose haven't spoken too much about that yet in the sense of the windfall Sharma Grovers are getting but my reading of this is that presuming Bazuna does what I think he should do um, I think he'll end up back at Man City I think there's a good chance and mm-hmm. they have like do you know what I mean so if that were to happen if this were like a pseudo loan um, Southampton Sharma Grovers I mean the I don't know if they've they've I don't know if they've had quite as many players maybe sold on for good money as they envisage they might because of the way that they've worked their um underage system in, in Roadstone and Tala. But um this certainly just justifies it. Like I, I have made the point a few times. I think it's the best time there has ever been to be involved in a League of Ireland team in terms of ownership because of things like the potential for a Bazuna sale um, and this is just this is quite quite striking and the great thing about Bazuna is like he's after the end of the season he's just at every Shamrock Rovers game and then he was like at he was at underage games I'm not, I'm not I wouldn't be surprised if he turned up a train I don't think he did but he's been at like all the games and he's so true to I'm sure he's delighted Sharon Groves are doing well out of the transfer because yeah. no, Man City don't need the money he's had to grow up fast has, uh, has Gavin Bazunu uh, loads still to come between myself and uh, Johnny papers here actually we'll, we'll, go, we'll get through to some of the papers we have, uh, we have Vicky Wall standing by so we'll, we've, uh, it's actually a busy enough uh, back page of this morning so we'll come back to some of those later on but uh, as you'll see on the, your screen 7.50 just a moment we'll be talking to uh, Vicky Wall the Meath player who's uh, secured a move down under David Connolly then at 10 past 8 uh, to touch on uh, more of Nathan Collins Gavin Bazunu and some Irish uh, rap after that international window uh, the sports news at 8.30 you'll a virtual insanity as I mentioned at 8.40 with John Duggan previewing the US Open and giving his tips for the tournament which gets underway in Brookline today 8.50 we'll be joined by Keith Wood the former Munster and Ireland star uh, we'll talk this uh, upcoming tour to New Zealand the squad the uh, 40 man squad that was named by Andy Farrell and uh, any surprise omissions or inclusions for Keith in that uh, in that team and uh, 10 past 9 Martin Lipton of the Sun will join us we'll uh, dive further as Johnny mentioned Gareth Southgate there and the, uh, the vitriol that's kind of surrounding him in England at the minute and at half past 9 we'll hear the best bits from Brian O'Driscoll who joined Joe on the show last night uh, but it's 7.53 on this uh, Thursday morning I'm nearly forgetting the days already jo- Johnny sorry about that uh, mm-hmm. but uh, 7.50 on that yeah it, uh, it can happen the, I've only had one coffee so far this morning I know you're probably on to your second but uh, is 7.53 AIG Ireland that is AIG Ireland announced its five new ambassadors for their summer sponsorship campaign yesterday calling for times like these which focuses on the times lives and sporting experiences of our star LGFA players the new campaign 
campaign continues to promote the AIG's effort is equal message with a new series of videos focusing on each of the AIG ambassadors and their stories. The five ambassadors who will feature in the new campaign are Lauren McGee of Dublin, Catherine Sullivan of Mayo, Ashling O'Connell of Kerry, Amy Mackin of Armagh and of course Vicky Wall from Meath. In addition, AIG also announced their LGFM member and player car insurance offer of 25% off for players and 15% off for all members across the country at www.aig.ie forward slash LGFA and we're delighted to be joined on OTBAM this morning by Vicky Wall herself. Vicky, very good morning. Morning, how are we? Keeping well, Vicky, keeping very well. Um, big week for you. Uh, we have the, the confirmation of uh, your move down under North Melbourne, the lucky ones to uh, to grab your signature at, uh, once this season ends but um, was that an easy decision to make? I know, I know you had plenty of suitors down under but uh, finally you've, you've, you've come to your decision. Yeah, yeah, I've got, come to my decision. Um, I suppose uh, there definitely was a few things I had to, I had to weigh out, um, you know, kind of even prior to even, like, you know, never mind choosing a club, it was just the decision, I suppose. You know, it, it's not the easiest thing to, to leave me when it's going well, but I suppose it's, it's an opportunity that I kind of couldn't pass up and, I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to it, to a new challenge as such. Is it nice to have Erica, Erica O'Shea? I know she's uh, she, she's heading to the, to the same club down in Australia as well. Um it might, it might be nice to have some Irish some Irish company and girls you can immediately gel with. Yeah, absolutely. It's always nice to have someone kind of in a in a similar scenario to you. And I suppose there's a, there's a lot of Irish over there now at the moment, and a few I kind of would have been in college with and stuff like that as well. So I suppose I I, I think everyone's been great so far, and you know, being being there if you have any any questions and stuff like that. So I've no doubt that will kind of continue over there, regardless if they're playing for different clubs and stuff like that. Am I right in saying you were last in Australia in, in 2019? I know you were over for that AFLW Combine uh, a few years ago, but with everything that's happened since with COVID, uh, etc., you mightn't have had the chance to go back over. But it's quite hard to believe what's happened in the interim because, you know, since then you've you've been named Intermediate and Senior Ladies Footballer of the Year. You've got a couple of All-Irelands in those levels as well. So even since that Combine in 2019, it's been a bit of a whirlwind for you. Yeah, absolutely has. And I suppose even that 2019 combine was a bit of a whirlwind. I was only there for four days. I had to fly back for a county final. So that was a bit of a strange one as well. I don't think I saw so much of Melbourne other than um, other than the actual stadiums and stuff like that that we were kind of going to. So um, I, I hope I'll get to see a bit more when I'm over there now. But uh, yeah, no, it has been a whirlwind, but I suppose it's been, been great for me and, and great for, for my club Dunboyne as well. Is it a seamless transition, Vicky, or do you have to, like how much work do you need to put in? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's a seamless transition. I know Mike Curran, who's over here at the AFL, he kind of does does some skill sessions and stuff like that as well. But I've no doubt it would be a bit of a bit of a shock to the system when I first go over. But like, I suppose that's kind of half the exciting part is that you're kind of learning a new, new skills the entire time. And how big is it over there in terms of the the game itself? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's growing. I think it's similar to, to ladies football over here. I think, you know, there's more traction, there's more visibility of us, there's more, you know, there's more people playing it. I know initially when I went over in 2019, I think they're kind of highlighting the fact that they might have, mightn't have had, um, a huge amount of football structures for girls past the age of kind of 14, 15, whereas that's not the case now. So they kind of have an influx of people coming in, of younger girls coming up now that have actually got to play it from, a young age and have been supported the whole way up so I suppose it, it's in, interesting in that sense of you know it's, it's definitely getting bigger over there as well and it's like the likes of Orlo Dwyer is she like an inspiration to the likes of you to go over there and kind of see, sort of see how it translates yeah absolutely I suppose you know you see 
any of the Irish girls that are doing well over there, like you obviously want to go over and, you know, do well. You don't want to be going to go over just for the sake of being in a different country, you know, that kind of way. It's, I think regardless of anyone that goes over, they want to still be, you know, playing well and playing even and improving themselves. I know I've spoken to you before, uh, Vicky, about um, Eamon Murray's comments. I know you're all you're your best friends with with your Meath manager Eamon Murray now <laughs> since, but like the, the comments at the time were, were quite funny. He was saying, um, "I'd say we're losing Vicky now in September, and I don't know how many more we'll lose. I don't know why you'd want to play that sport because it's dreadful <laughs> stuff to watch. I can't understand it. There's no skill at all. So, but you're all, you've obviously kissed and made up with Eamon since. <laughs> I, yeah, I think poor Eamon now. I think he's got a fair bit of abuse for that one. So uh, <laughs> he didn't get any more from me anyway. Put it that way. But uh, I know. Look, Eamon's. Really Really supportive of us going, of me going over and you know he, he wants us to see us doing well regardless of what it is so no no he, he's loyal for me we just when when a team looks for a player from from Ireland like to, is it is it sort of stats based what do they look for is it like um all the attributes is it particular athleticism what what attracts them to a player like you um, I don't know I think even all of the players going over you know there's very different attributes that we all have but you know you can kind of it's different positions to be looking at as well. But I think, you know, just in terms of, you know, general fitness and stuff like that, you know, it's like I it was a two point four K kind of um run and stuff that they what they kind of do and just different kind of um fitness tests as well and then just I suppose skill sessions in relation to Mike was able to get a bit of footage and stuff like that so you can send it over to them. So they know they know you can at least handle the ball and stuff like that as well. You know, they don't expect the the highest of, you know, they don't expect it to be going over with perfect ball skills, but obviously you have to have kind of some understanding. Like, do you take almost motivation sometimes, uh, Vicky? From you know, a lot of people when when the Irish players started going over to to Australia to play in the FLW, people were saying oh, it's going to be tough to to kind of gel into this sport. There's a lot of new skills to learn. But like, I remember reading quotes from you uh, even before the All Ireland final win for me last last year, talking about you know you taking motivation from from people doubting you and doubting the team. Like, will it be kind of similar for you and us? Like, it's almost like a a new challenge for you to kind of rise up and and exceed expectations almost yeah absolutely I suppose um, I don't know if it's kind of an external thing of, to the same extent you know, I've proven to doubt it you know that kind of way but as in definitely to myself anyway if you know being able to be adaptable and stuff like that as a sports person is something that I think is a term that's thrown around quite a lot so I suppose I'll, I'll definitely be testing that of myself and I suppose it's it's kind of for me anyway interesting to see how, how I'm going to get on I know you've been doing. Uh, I think it was the, was the digital marketing masters in in DCU. Is that is that on the back burner now? Or well, obviously, when you're heading to Oz, it has to go on the back burner. But is that something you'll, you'll consider coming back to in in a number of years? I guess it's take take it as it goes in Australia. Yeah, I suppose it is. Take it as it goes. Um, I suppose I'll be doing a bit of work with the with the club themselves, actually, in the, the digital marketing kind of department and stuff. So I suppose it's not like putting a, putting everything else on hold just to just to kind of pursue a sport. So that's kind of a nice balance as well. Like, I even I remember reading different times, Vicky, and, and I remember speaking to you before about uh, celebrating the, the the big moments and that that win for me in, in the All Ireland last year, uh, of which you were, you were a major part, was was huge. And I remember you talking about KPAC, uh, the Mead sponsors organising a, a night, a celebratory night, and I remember you talking about speaking to people like Trevor Giles, uh, who told you to enjoy it. Uh, as long as you can because you never know when, you, when you'll win another are you glad now looking back especially with, with Australia on the horizon that at the time yourself and, the, uh, and your Meath teammates really enjoyed that, that win and, and kind of took it all in because sometimes you know it can, it, these wins can bypass players they, they wait all their lives for an All-Ireland all and then when it happens it almost feels anticlimactic but I feel like that wasn't the case for yourself 
you know, definitely wasn't anti-chromatic at all. And we definitely, definitely did enjoy the, the celebrations and everything that came with it. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely just even, you know, after last year, I, I definitely think I'm just appreciating me football more. And I suppose the, the position we're in, how privileged we are. I think, you know, you can see in ladies football how quickly things can change. Um, and we've been in that position as well. So I think we're kind of conscious of that and enjoy, enjoying how we're going at the moment. I know you're a St Peter's Dunboyne um, woman as well, and and like speaking to to Sean Boylan, a fellow uh, Dunboyne man, uh, recently, and uh, like the aura that Sean has, everyone knows, is is uh, quite incredible, and he's he's an esteemed figure in this country for a number of reasons. But for yourself, as someone from the same club as Sean, I'm sure he was someone he you held in great esteem growing up as a kid, and he was probably almost this mythical figure of sorts in, in the town. Yeah, he absolutely was. And even, you know, any time we kind of come across him or you've gone up to him to, to, to help you sort, for him to help you sort something out the day before a game, you know, you could easily be there for an hour and there's never any lack of knowledge or storytelling, which, you know, is something you always take in. So I suppose any time you get to spend with him is good. And, you know, he even kind of just about even the move to Australia, you know, he was telling me to enjoy it and make the most of it and everything like that. So he's definitely someone that we all kind of, we definitely all value in Dunboyne and I think around around the country. I'd actually advise anyone to uh, who hasn't read it, Arthur Sullivan, who, who was a friend of mine he used to work with, he did an article about Sean in the um, Legend series in the GA website. It goes back now to 2015 where Sean's dad was actually like a very, very key figure in the War of Independence. His, his dad had him when he was quite old in life. So Sean is like one generation from the start of the state, effectively like right. bring, Brigadier, um, Brigadier General Sean Boylan. That was his father, and he was named after him. It's a, it's an amazing piece, and Sean, oh, he's just a, what a what a personality, what a character, and um, yeah, you you'll have fewer better inspirations, I guess, Vicky. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's never any lack of inspiration when you're talking to him. He's he's a phenomenal man. He <laughs> didn't have you up doing laughs of the Hill of Tower like the lads back in the day. <laughs> Not quite, not quite. We haven't we haven't seen that yet, but I'm I'm sure it could be in the pipeline. <laughs> he, it's funny. He, like Sean was in charge of international rules teams that had serious hacking jobs against Australia. Some of those battles in in Croke Park and down under as well. I mean, just battering into each other across, across the course of a few tests. Like, is that something that the physicality, uh, Vicky, that that you're looking forward to? That you're kind of I'm not going to say you're dreading it because of course you're not, but it, it's certainly another aspect of the game that that kind of differentiates it from, from Gaelic football in some ways yeah no it does I, yeah, I think I'm looking forward to it I think you know in, in the game in ladies football at the moment it's still technically technically a non-contact sport but sure that's not true at all but I think you know even there's probably is a bit of a drive and a bit of a want for the physicality to increase and you know to be able to utilise all the, the efforts we're putting into strength and conditioning so I suppose when you're going over there you're expecting it you know it's you know it's allowed you're kind of getting used to it but I'm sure that will even take time for me to adapt to as well like it's funny that adaption to the to the sport like for for a lot, for a lot of players it seems to happen quite quickly are, are people like Cora Staunton you know are, are, is your plan to kind of approach them as well and, and maybe, maybe you already have like have you got on to Cora and players who have been established over there in Australia and kind of got some um, some words of wisdom some words of wisdom from them as well yeah definitely I've been in touch with a good few of the girls that are over in Australia now at this stage just even you know whether it's general questions or just about you know the, the game itself so everyone's been really really helpful and um, yeah I was on to Cora and she's, she's been a serious help already yeah. Like just when I mentioned Dunboyne there Vicky um, like I'm thinking back to the, the All-Ireland Club uh, final last year and you know stopping Fox Rock Cabin-Tilly from winning that seven in a row and I know you had the All-Ireland with, with me as well but you hear a lot of players who've won who've managed to 
be lucky enough to win a club All-Ireland and an and a inter-county All-Ireland as well talking about how the club one feels different it, it must have been quite special to to win an All-Ireland with girls who you know you've grown up playing alongside from from you know under sevens upwards it, it, it's probably a different feeling to, to the win with Meath Yeah it definitely is I suppose we probably had a, a somewhat I wouldn't say overly similar, but there's definitely some comparisons in, in Dunboyne. You know, we, we our team disbanded in 2014, or you know, we came back together, sorry, in 2014 after a lot of people were kind of travelling and studying abroad and everything like that. And people would have had to transfer to local different clubs. And then we started in junior in 2014 and we ended up winning a junior all in 2015 and intermediate in 2017. So, like, it kind of was that rise as well and that kind of journey and such like that. So, from 2015, 2017, all of our All Ireland games were away, so we would have spent a significant amount of time with each other on buses every single weekend. So, you know, like it or not, we were forced to get to know each other extremely <laughs> well. And I think that kind of stood to us. And, you know, just even our, our first All Ireland in 2015 was in Limerick. And just I remember it was the worst day ever. Our supporters' bus was about 10 or 15 minutes late. So, like, we do have all those memories together. So, like you said, it was just winning with people you've been playing with since under 12 and everything like that just you know it's kind of something you can't can't really describe and when it kind of works out it's, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling What can other counties and even clubs I guess learn from the Mead story like clubs uh, and counties that um, have just been sort of maybe in the doldrums and are finding it hard like it, it, it's got to be some sort of an inspiration what did you guys do to to turn it into this almost overnight success uh, I know it wasn't an overnight success but it's and, and like the lift it gave the county as well when you won the All-Ireland um, yeah, I think it's definitely been a mixture of things. You know, I think we are lucky that regardless of, we did have a lot of chopping and changing of a panel, but we kind of kept a core group of of enough people there, I think, to kind of continually drive things and meet. And then I think once once um, we had that foundation of a group still there and got management involved, that both had the same kind of want and desire. And I think we, like Paul, is originally our, our coach is originally from Ocastle and Mead. Now he's a Baltimore man in Wickler now, but I think maybe his even understanding of the potential that was in the group, and I suppose our own understanding, was something that we were able to draw on and kind of motivate each other in, in different ways. So I, I, I don't know is, is the perfect answer or honest answer, but um, yeah, I think it was a mix of a lot of things and maybe not just one big thing. You, you need somebody to say to you, like, essentially, I believe in you. And once you start seeing that, um, well, if he believes in us and, you know, you can see the progress there in front of you, I guess you start thinking that you're on a journey here. Yeah, I think even learning to win. I think we knew, we knew mm. how to lose. We knew how to, you know, in tight games, there would be 10 minutes to go and we could be a few points up and we knew exactly what to do to lose because we kept doing it. Um, we'd give away a few kickouts and we'd do things that were just out of the ordinary. So then kind of once or twice when you're in those scenarios and you kind of learn how to get a match across the line and just like small little learnings. And then as a group collectively, as everyone else, kind of as, as like the entire panel starts to learn those scenarios, I think it kind of weighs out and then it kind of, you know, it, it definitely doesn't become like, second nature but as in you kind of you just have an awareness of it and that kind of you know you can feel momentum shifts a bit more I think and kind of game management I think as well Can I just ask you a, f- a final one Vicky something that, that cropped up last week and, and uh, we had Andy McEntee in studio on the show last week the, the now former Meave manager um, 
and he was talking about the, the levels of abuse on social media, uh, letters to the house he was getting as well from from people, I, I guess, in me, and maybe outside as well, who knows. Uh, and, and I saw the tweet, and I saw you, you retweeted it yourself, and Shane McEntee, Andy's son, is someone, you know, I actually went to college with Shane, and I, you know you can kind of emphasise with, with this sort of thing. He was talking about the letters to the house and the abuse, you know, Andy might have been getting for picking Shane on the panel, his own son, uh, even though Shane was clearly there on merit. Um, and, and even last Saturday, we had a panel on, on, on Off the Ball, John Duggan presented, on, on this culture of social media abuse of sports people and, and the issue of, of, you know, being on a platform where, where you have to nearly take this abuse and even from the stands taking abuse during games as well. I just want to get you, gather your thoughts on that and maybe have you had any experiences of, of that sort of thing yourself whether it be online in person uh, I'm sure it's not easy you know and you probably see it happening to teammates as well it's, it's it seems to be fairly rife at the minute unfortunately yeah I think it is and I think maybe um, social media maybe is, is more rife for the men's side of things um, in terms of the abuse and I think you know like like you said like I don't think any, I think anybody that knows football and needs um, can 100% say the change there in merit so um, I think you know like it's something that maybe like as in I don't know how to stop it but I think you know the level of abuse that, that they were getting was just like it's just disgraceful to be honest but in terms of ladies football I suppose ah we do see a bit of it online I suppose just even you know Instagram and stuff like that I think everyone's a bit everyone's very accessible so it's easy to send a message after a game after a win or a loss um, and I suppose part of sport you know you always hear things from the sideline as well I, I don't know how to, to clamp, down, clamp down on it more I suppose verification of people online is, is probably something to go because I think it tends to always be people that have no profile picture and no followers and everything like that I think it's very easy to, to you know make an account and with a fake name and things like that and hide behind it I think you know it's it's, it's kind of the times we're in that people people seem to continuously be doing that it's good. Yeah, Elon Musk is on your wavelength there I think or allegedly so anyway yeah hopefully it, uh, hopefully it uh, improves and uh, social media companies get their act together listen uh, Vicky it's been great chatting to you this morning no doubt we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you between now and us and uh, listen best of luck with the rest of the season with me Thanks so much. Thanks, William. Great stuff, Vicky Wall there, of course. The uh, former senior ladies player of the year, All-Ireland winner, of course, with uh, Meath as well. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, thanks to our OTBAM partners, Gillette, we have a Gillette Labs heated razor to give away for Father's Day. Just like and share the post on our social channels to be in with a chance to win the perfect Father's Day prize. That has got me nervous because I forgot that Father's Day was coming up, Johnny. So uh, Sunday. Isn't this it? Sunday, isn't it? Ah, uh, here. So okay, right. I, need oh, to get, I better check that. Actually, need to get my act together. Uh, uh, yeah, it's great. Like you get companies emailing you about it, so you, they know you'll forget. Father's <laughs> like, uh, Day Ireland is on. Yeah, the nineteenth. Uh, so excellent. So three days. Three, three days. days. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, right. Always man, your dad, isn't he? He's always yeah. done more, man. So uh, oh. yeah, perfect. Uh, right after this short break, we're live with the former Republic of Ireland striker David Connolly talking Ireland. See you then. OTB. Very welcome back to OTBAM on this Thursday morning, 8.13am. Myself, Shane Hannan and Johnny Ward with you until 10am uh, this morning. It is time to turn our attention back to Matters Republic of Ireland and uh, we're all feeling a little bit better than we were probably this time 10 days ago um, after the Armenia and Scotland Games. But uh, delighted to be joined on the line now by David Connolly, former Republic of Ireland international striker. Very good morning, David. Good morning, uh, Shane. Johnny, morning. You're feeling, you're feeling fresh and, and uh, enjoying this renewed vigour and positivity around Stephen Getty and the Irish setup now? Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, I guess there's a little bit of balance to be had, right, in terms of... Um, no, there isn't. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is great. Well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, 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 the positives, obviously, I think it's always good to end on a, on, on, on a good note, right, with these games. We knew there were going to be, you know, a lot of games in the short 
period of time and and I think you know there's there's certainly the last two I think he got his team selection right and and we've poured over this but I, I certainly think he got his team selection wrong for the first two but um, he, he certainly got it right in the last two and probably not by design but more by you know his having his hand forced with, with Egan and Duffy being out with, with Abafemi being out as well but that that Formation, like we've we've been spending a lot of time talking about Kenny's style and and uh, you know this three five two. Damien Delaney was on with the lads yesterday morning, David, and he was talking about his preference probably for a four four two and talking about in this three five two formation. You need a lot of possession on the ball. What, what's your what's your take yeah. on this Kenny style? Yeah, I mean, I, like I've I've had this um, you know last time I was talking to you because I I I don't think that this is the that to be honest I wouldn't play this formation, but obviously I'm not the island manager, right? I mean. Do we need three at the back? Um, Nathan did really well for his goal, but if you look at the goal we conceded, uh, the whole point of having three at the back is you can go and afford to be aggressive on the first ball up. He got beaten with the header. He then made a fatal error to come across and help out James McLean, who didn't need help. And that meant Daryl Lennon had to come over. And so Ukraine had a man over at the back post. Now, if you've got three at the back, you've got to go and be aggressive and win that ball up and... You know, there's 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 a few things to improve upon. So, you know, that was that was one defensive mistake from Nathan. Everyone talk about the goal, and he, don't get me wrong, he did brilliantly, but he didn't win the first ball up. And for Ireland, you know, we need that dominant centre half as that ball's played in the air. He's got to make sure he wins that first ball. It's, mm. it's uh, and these are the little the tiny nuances, right? That we're <laughs> we're we're trying to improve upon, as well as you know, maybe not, maybe now. I think Stephen would have learned that Callum Robinson probably, you know, needs to be playing football, right? You know, he started him a couple of times. His, I think his performances, Lithuania, et cetera, weren't quite at it. His shot selection was really bad. And I think he's learning all the time. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll be picking players who, who might have had a little bit more football, you know? And um, so I think he certainly learned a lot. If... <clears throat> So this were Fox News now, we'd be like just cutting him off. I mean, it's been non-stop like loving of Nathan <laughs> Collins. And here is this lad to have the cheat to come on and call him out for mistakes yeah. in the goal. It's interesting to me because I, I don't actually really remember the header. So he was beaten on the first header. That's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the, what, the, the situation then where McLean obviously kind of is almost like he puts Yarmolenko onto his right thinking he'll get away with it. But in fairness, you are right, David. The centre-backs were kind of... It wasn't... Yeah, they were, yeah. We, ha- we had enough players back to actually deal with the better. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's fair enough to show Yarmolenko in onto his right. But Yarmolenko is not, he's not quick. So, he, you know, he should be showing him, he should be showing him the line. You know, he should be showing him the line, obviously not allowing him to come in field because then he's on his weaker foot. But nonetheless, he kind of overcovered. He overcovered, you know, and allowed, the, and allowed too much of the line to be, to be seen by Yarmolenko. And what Nathan's doing coming across that far, you know, he should just let James McLean, you know, McLean just deal with the danger. And then he stays in it. He had no reason to come over. And these are the fine margins, right? This is not picking on anyone. These are the fine margins when, if you're Ireland, you know, he'll, he'll be pouring through. Winning the first ball up, so important, having a dominant centre-half, winning the first ball up. Let me tell you, if he was at Burnley and Sean Dyche and he didn't win that header... You know, let me tell you, in a championship, if he is playing, he'll have to win it. He'll have to win those balls that are coming up on the halfway line. Because if you're going to play a high line, you win that first ball up. Because if you don't, then, then we're out. He didn't win. He didn't. You say, though, he should have trusted McLean to deal with it. McLean didn't deal with it. 
No, it's, no, but that's because McLean overcovered on the inside. Mm. You know, and 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 McLean's got to back himself. No, when Yama, it's almost like they. Ireland's back unit paid too much uh, attention to Yarmolenko's quality. Oh, it's, it's, it's Yarmolenko that's on the ball. <laughs> right. You know, suddenly there's three players around one, you know, and, and uh, it could have been defended a bit, you know, a bit better. In, in, but what are we just picking elves? Like, obviously, well, this is, you just, came on. I mean, we've been literally like 48 yeah. hours of positivity and you were straight into it here, like bringing yeah, us like, back well, down because, to that horrible place called Earth. Yeah, because I want the lads to, you know, th- these are the bits that when you're Stephen, if you're Stephen and his coaching staff, they'll be pouring over because they mm. know that goal would have mm. been avoidable. Like, like, it was also you know, right at the start of the second half. It was like, you yeah, know, almost like, like they were asleep or something. Yeah, because look, when, when you're, you know, when you're, you're playing international football, it's the fine margins, right? Mm. That we're all, that, this is why we pour over a couple of bad performances and, and, and we go through, you know, I go through shot selection or strikers or whatever. You know, I look at Michael Oberfeni's shot selection. He takes it on from 30 yards, but he hits the target. I mean, in a couple of, of the, the, the early games, I mean, in Ukraine, I mean, our shot selection was dreadful and we barely hit the target. You know, it's, it's improved as, the, as the, the games went on, but also he had the right players on the pitch, I think. I know uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, David, but uh, you did mention that Kenny um, perhaps got his team selection wrong in those opening two games. Like, looking back now, what, what, what particular players or, or um, choices do you think Stephen Kenny got wrong in those opening two games? Yeah, it's it's not in hindsight because I said this before the games. Mm, so mm. you know, one hundred percent, I would have played Michael Obafemi and I would have played him away from home against Armenia. Ideal time to blood to blood him and get him into the team. You got nothing to lose, and I think you play those players that have played football. You know, coming in and 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 you talk to those your Callum Robinsons and look, you might be my number one, but you know, what? I'm going to have a look at Michael. You know, he's done really well at club level. I'm going to have a look at him. You know, and just see how we go. So, I think a, a couple of the positions, you know, I, I think you'd look back that that maybe the, you know he didn't quite get the, the the selection. But it's certainly not in hindsight because I've seen Michael an awful lot, and and I just think you have that bit of effervescence and someone who's coming in confident. You know, just get him straight in the team. And Stephen said, ah, oh, you know, he had to integrate. He does not have to integrate. That was the you know. He's got more confidence than all of us put together. Can I just call you on that, though? But you can't say to Callum Robinson, you're my number one, and then not start him in a game that was, as much as it was away to Armenia, we were even money, or give or take, to win that game. So it was roughly 50-50. And that, like, without bringing betting into it, that's it's normally an accurate reflection. So it was 50-50 we win that game. You can't say to Callum Robinson, you're my number one, but I'm dropping you. So it's 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 not, like, it's, it's nuanced. You can't quit. Yeah, it is no one. Exactly. <laughs> Who's it the football the, manager here? This is, the, yeah. this is part of the job. It's like, I'm trying to be a man manager, but I'm dropping you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That is exact, that, these are the nuances. Because he is his number one, right? I'm not sure he is anymore. Well, exactly. Not mm. anymore, but he was then. And mm. I think how you, how you couch it, how you give it to him, if, if you had to, is that, you know, okay, you've been brilliant for me. You know, you are my number, but I'm going to give Michael a chance, mm. you know, against, against Armenia. And, you know, you come off the bench, you haven't played enough football. And, and, and that's how you keep, uh, I think that's how you keep your, your, your squad kind of, not saying you have to keep them happy, but, you, you know, when you're Ireland manager, I think you kind of do. Talk to me so. Like, I, I think Obafemi um, is having a debate with actually an, ex, an ex-Ireland international like yourself yesterday was having a debate about Obafemi's qualities versus Robinson. Where are you on this debate? I don't think Robinson is good enough personally at the, at the level that Ireland need to go to, whereas I think Obafemi might have a chance. Where are you on it? 
I, I think Michael has got a little bit of a of the X factor about mm-hmm. him. You know what what will be interesting though is is how reliable he is in mm. terms of his fitness mm. and 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 doing all he can to be fit. Is he doing everything he can to be injury free? You know, is he working really hard on the training ground? Is he is he is he getting enough? Look, he's formed a fabulous pairing at Swansea. You know, him and um, Joel Pirro. Mm. I mean, his strike partner. Very different player as well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So that, and they complement each other. So uh, look, he can play in a two, I think, and he, he could also play as a one. Yeah, you know, and he he's got a little bit of of everything. The only thing is, obviously. You know, when he did come on, he came short. We lost possession. We gave the goal away. Yeah, you know, and I think when he comes on, play to his strengths initially, relieve the pressure, get you running in behind, stretch the pitch, and then we open up. But he, he's shown an awful lot to his game. But look, I, I go to championship matches in England like every week. You know, and I and I'm and I'm I'm not seeing him every week, but I'm seeing him really regularly. And and he could have he could have got in against Armenia. The good thing is he got his goal. You know, Nathan Collins obviously has, has come in and, and shown how good he is. And, and you know, the midfield three, I think, laid the marker down, right? They, they laid the marker down. I just I think Alan Brown, though, will have something to say in terms of playing in that midfield. But, can I, can I know, just come, come back to you on that, though, very briefly? Sorry, Shane. The, the Obafemi pass for Parrot's goal, for me, was the highlight of the four games. Like, genuinely, it was just everything about it was... was Glorious. Like, Glorious, like it was just sex on a football pitch. <laughs> Did that surprise yeah. you though? I, I haven't seen enough Obafemi to know. Like he, he was this fox around the box, very quick, gotten a lot of goals, debates on social media as to whether he meant an unbelievable assist. And I'm like, what is this lad? That, like, so he obviously is capable of of that. Yeah, exactly. And you, you don't want to stereotype in terms of I oh, can just run in behind or he's just a goal scorer. You know, because he plays with under Russell Martin. I mean, mm. you know, Russell has got a fabulous reputation now. His results haven't quite been uh, a reflection of Lovely their style of football. Yeah, their dominance in games. You would say it's akin to how Stephen wants to play, mm. you know. But it does mean that your front two, as it is for them, and Michael, you know, he's involved in all facets of that. Not just someone to knock the ball over the top or, you know. It, it, there's, there's, there, and he'll be getting really, really well coached as well. So I think Southampton should have retained him rather than selling him <clears throat> personally, because I think he would be making an impact in in the Premier League. Maybe not <clears throat> week in, week out, but as we've seen with Gavin Bazunu, you know, I think you know maybe he he, he might go again, Michael. He might get that chance again. As long as he, you know, he keeps working hard because he's, I think he picked up a few injuries. And, you know, I used to play for Southampton and, and, and I heard a few things. You know, I don't know if he's, you know, was he doing as much as he could to make sure he was, he was fit? And, and mm. I, he's got to keep on top of that. Just to pick up on, on, on a phrase you, you mentioned there, David, the X factor, this thing that Michael Obafemi clearly possesses. I was fascinated to listen to, to James McLean in the, in the, the pre-match press conferences last week. He was talking about the young players, the, the Obafemis, the Cullens, the Malumbis, the Knights. Uh, and he he referenced their resilience, and he, he talked about their ability to somehow drown out this outside noise that seems to uh, often hold this Irish team back. All the negativity outside the camp. It, it seems quite impressive that these young players, in particular, uh, don't seem to care about that. They, they they don't pay any heed to it. Even when you when you look at Nathan Collins's post match interview the other night, he's just talking about loving football and wanting to play football. They clearly yeah. have the right attitude. These young players. Yeah, and obviously, look, that comes back to McLean. You know, a hundred and whatever caps he's got. You know, within all these youngsters, there is a real place for those lads that have, have been there, done it all, seen it all, 
you know, have the experience. I mean, but, you know, obviously when I was coming into Iron Squad, you got, you know, vast experienced players, 100-odd caps, 90, 80 caps, you know. And then a lot of the lads I played with end up and got 70, 80, 90, 100 caps, you know. Mm. And you hope that'll be the case for these. But you need the, you need the, the sprinkling of experience because, you know, say barring Duffy and, you know, you, you might look at, at the back unit at times might be a little bit inexperienced. Say Ryan Manning comes in as well. As a, as a left wing back at times, who's brilliant on the ball. You know, you, you, you could say it, it might be a little bit, um, you know, young. You know, so you need that sprinkling of experience, for sure. Is, is Manning in the left back picture? Because I, I don't know. I would, yeah, I, I think he's a terrific ball player. You've got to remember, yeah. he's he's also at Swansea, right? Yeah, like, I, I, he was at, I followed his career, he was at Galway United. Um, yeah, never, that's right, yeah. Never thought he'd end up uh, as a defender, but it's just, again, he's not blessed with great pace, which, which for a wing back is a problem. No, but he can play in all sorts of areas. Mm. I mean, I've, I've seen him play in Nathan Collins' position for Swansea, central mm. centre-half. He's so good on the ball. We saw that in the Lithuania game. Yeah, he was very good, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my point being, there's, there's, I, I would like to see him, maybe Will Keane, you know, get a bit of game time because I, I think over the four games, I was disappointed that they, they, you know, like Callum came on again. Maybe Will Keane could have come on just to see if we've, you know, just to, just to get more minutes in some of these boys while they're, you know, after a long sort of time together, you know, but anyway. Will Keane, Scott Hogan, these guys just outside the top tier of the of the Irish striking options, like, how do you rank them, David? Are, are, are they <clears> good yeah. enough? Well, it, that, that's where I think, you know, again, we'll, we'll be getting really well coached by Liam Richardson. I think that um, they're going to give it a good go this season and, you know, if they're, if they're scoring goals, you know, might, might be Michael got in the team because he was playing well and scoring goals, right? Uh, uh, you, you know, and and once I think the likes of Keane are banging them in in the championship, if they do, then they'll be getting that opportunity. But I'll, still, I'd like to show a little bit of confidence to go that, you know, you don't necessarily need to be because uh, you've impressed me in training and you've banged the goals in League One. Bang, here's your chance. Mm. You know, as opposed to being a, not a little bit elitist, but that's where... You know, I, I think I think he could he could have maybe played a few minutes. Will just looking at the back page, and you mentioned him already, David. But the back page of the Irish Independent, Dan, our own Dan McDonald, uh, regular on off the ball, has the piece on Gavin Bazunu. Bazunu moved to uh, to bring Hoops reward over the three million mark. So Gavin Bazunu's moved from Manchester City to Southampton, set to bring Shamrock Rovers earnings from the sale of their Star Academy product above the three million mark. So uh, the club agreeing to pay a fee of twelve million pounds that will rise to sixteen million pounds. Um, Big move, David, for, for Gavin Bazunu. The, the right move for him, I know you're, as you mentioned, yeah. a former Southampton player. Like, if he can get regular Premier League football, there's no doubt he's, yeah. our, he's our number one. No, that's right. I mean, I've seen Gavin quite a lot, and I, I used to play for Portsmouth, so I've been down to Fratton Park. And um, I think in April, would you by chance, I said, I did a little article about him, and I said, you know, Southampton down the road, that wouldn't be a bad club for mm-hmm. him. And lo and behold, he's gone there now. Uh, th- those two clubs, you know, you do have scouts from both keeping an eye on on everything. So, um, but but Gavin is 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 got all the traits to be, you know, a Premier League goalkeeper. I, I had this with David Snade yesterday. The only slight little issue is he's going into Southampton at I think a pivotal time. There's been a lot of change at Southampton. You know, three of the backroom staff have basically been sacked. Um, 
Rasmus Ankerson, who was heavily involved at Brentford with their model, has come into Southampton. He's making his mark, hence the staff changes, because it was either the staff go or the manager goes. And I think Ralph Hasenhurtl, for all his reputation, is under a lot of pressure because the fans are really not happy with how they've... I mean, their results at times have been dreadful. They really have. So he's coming into a club that... It wouldn't surprise me if there was a managerial change there in the future. If they don't... If they, if they have a... Normally, when half your staff go, the manager is on thin ice. You know, it was like staff or the manager goes. And I think I, I, it'll be interesting how it goes. So it's a great club. I think it'll do really, really well. Um, He's plenty of experience think- as well, in fairness of playing for teams that are under the cosh like that are he, he, he's been very very busy in his career so far put it that way exactly yeah the only thing I, I, I thought I'd pick out from him was that he, he obviously plays quite you know he coached at Man City um, high line comes out of his box an awful lot and I saw him once for, for Portsmouth he completely got it wrong he cleaned out an opponent uh, if that was a Premier League game he would have been sent off mm. and, and he just has to which will come with experience in games he just has to get that right now in the Premier League that will be highlighted and he'll be picked apart you know there was um, one moment in the game against uh, Serbia where like he was unbelievable that night there was one moment where he came yeah. for the ball and missed it um, yeah. is, is there any way I, I have him ahead of Kelleher no questions asked but like who starts our next game you think well, I, I don't know because I think I think Grieving's done done very very well. Um, it'll just be again. It'll be a case. I think you come back to who does it matter who's playing or who's not playing mm. in terms of Stephen's eyes. Uh, uh, you know, I'd be inclined if if Gavin is playing, then it would be it would be Gavin that I would be selecting. Um, you so know, I think the the YouTube commenters um, very much. Uh, getting to you Johnny here uh, Niall says there's no dislodging Johnny from Bazunu. he's dying in that ditch uh, David Salter says in a few months after Bazunu is a Premier League starter it won't be much of a debate in my opinion and Larry Gorman says Johnny is definitely Bazunu's agent that's Larry I <laughs> bloody well wish I was <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be here <laughs> yeah. well, do you know what's interesting as well lads is, is as I said there's a lot going on you can't just look at oh, it's a Premier League club you know there's a lot going on at Southampton and you know, uh, I'm sure it's the right club, you know, but, but it's not a club that you would say, like any, I guess it happens a lot in the Premier League, you know, managers and how secure they are in their, in their position. But, you know, I think there might be some changes at Saints and, and, and how that impacts on Gavin. And maybe he'll just get on with it, as you say, he's used to it, you know. But uh, uh, what I mean is, would there be another club? Would there be, you know, I, I, I don't want to sell himself short of going into a club that looks like the manager might, they might change in, in time. So if you're his agent, you might say if there was a couple of options, was Southampton the right one for what's going on in the background? Because they've had, they've had an awful time with their ownership and everything, you know, which, which yeah, can, can make for a little bit disharmony there's obviously there's obviously no vitriol David for, for players that uh, like it's not a Liverpool Everton thing when, when a player plays for Southampton and, and also Portsmouth is. Oh, they, they love him they, uh, the Portsmouth players uh, and fans love him you know player of the year there, there'll be nothing or they'd say they'd, they'd wish him luck because they're not operating at that level mm. you know so they, they, you know they, they, they only have the best wishes for him he's done brilliantly for them you know 
like it's it's funny for someone so young like we were talking earlier at the start of the show David about the goalkeeping position being one that you need to have someone who's vocal who's communicative who speaks to the to the, not only the back four in front of them but I mean they have a full picture a full view of the pitch in front of them so it's important for, for that keeper to be quite communicative do you think like do, do either Kelleher or Bazunu stand out for you as being maybe stronger in that department or no I, I, I you know when you look at Gavin he's pretty impressive in terms of his size and his physique he looks like a you know like a yeah, it's hard to say what does a Premier League goalkeeper look like, but he, he has that stature in terms of his size and presence. You know, even I've seen him walking, you know, walking pre-game. You know, he's he's looks as fit as a butcher's dog. You know, even as a goalkeeper, he just looks. You know, he just the way he carries himself. He, he he's very impressive, and you know, he might he, whether he starts the season or I guess a lot will maybe happen in pre-season. Who gets the you know who gets who gets the number one. Um, you know, we'll have to wait. So, I mean, Ralph Hassel at times has had a, a, a particularly stubborn nature about him. You know, Shay Adams, I'll give you one example, which, you know, is to think about. Shay Adams went away to play for Scotland, right? And because he wasn't at the training ground, when they came back, he started on the bench. Mm. And the reason was Ralph said, well, you know, I was able to work with my players on the training ground and I, and I went with the players who I felt could get more out of. Now, would that go against Gavin at times? You know, because Shea Adams should be starting for Southampton, you know, every day of the week. But he was left out because Ralph covets that work on the training ground so much. And, and as I said, I know people there, so I know, you know, this is factual. So what if Gavin's aware of Ireland and he comes back, would, he, would that be held against him? Uh, you know, there's, there's little things that Ralph Hassel does that, you know, might, 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 you know, great against you, I think, at times. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, a couple of comments coming in. Peter Kelleher says, uh, or Peter M says, Kelleher is a better keeper. People seem to brush over the mistakes Bazuna has made, like leaving the ball roll through his legs. I was lucky he went out for a corner uh, in previous game against Portugal. David Kern says, great to be in a position to debate who's the best keeper, as opposed to we desperately need to unearth the keeper. That's a, that's a fair point, isn't it? Like, these keepers and centre backs, like we're done for the next. <laughs> like, we're honestly done for the next fifteen years, nearly. I'd You've say. enough of them. Um, you know. What did you make, David, of, of uh, Nathan Collins? Uh, it was only a passing comment talking about how tired he was while he was asked specifically how tired he, he must be after playing all four of these games in this window. A lot of football being played by by players. You know, this international window was dragged on, uh, especially with the World Cup for, for some countries being in, in, in December. Uh, do you have sympathy for, for some of these players who are clearly out on their feet at the minute and, and probably the yeah. end of those four games came at a good time? Yeah, I, I um, you know, absolutely you do because... You know, yeah, they have. They obviously have a, have have had a lot of football, and people say, oh, you know, it's great to be to be a you know a football player and be playing so much. It, don't get me wrong, it is, but it's almost like a an eleven month season. Mm. I don't know how many weeks break they'll have, but I remember a few times if I was away with Ireland, I'd come back, and once I had, I don't know, I think I had two, just over two weeks, um, which is you know, don't get me wrong, uh, you, you know. I couldn't wait to go back training, but it was the wrong call. It was the wrong, it was the wrong thing to do. And I think, <clears throat> you know, mentally as well as physically, you just need a little break from, uh, but this is where the managers of their own clubs <clears throat> can still bring in and, and have a mandatory, right? Here's your four weeks break. And then also what's Alex Ferguson, Ferguson used to do really well is during the season, he'd give certain players breaks. You've got to use that wisely, right? That, that time when you can, you've got three or four days off here, you know, right, go away, you know, you might have had less time in the summer because you've been away, but, 
you know, here's your little break in, I don't know, September time or whatever it may be. But that comes down to your individual. That's the nuances of managing. Remember Fergie used to do it. You'd see, I don't know, Schmeichel off at the beach in whatever time of the year and mm. whoever it may be. And, and, and that's where you've got to manage like all these individuals, you know, really, really, really well because they do have a lot of football. It is kind of 11 months a year, you know. Can I just ask you a, a completely random one here, David, before we finish? Um, and this just popped in my head and this is coming at you from left field here. But So I'm having the opportunity next month. I'm going on a little bit of a holiday myself and part of that trip is going to take me to, to Denver, Colorado, where I'm going to be sitting down with um, with two actors, Charlie Hunnam of uh, Sons of Anarchy fame and Elijah Wood of uh, Lord of the Rings fame. And in my research for this, I decided for the first time in years to stick on Green Street course a football culture <laughs> cultural phenomenon right. uh, like yeah. I, I hadn't seen it in years uh, and there is and you'll probably know where I'm heading with this David but there's a scene in the movie that's clearly in the old bowling ground or Upton Park uh, and I was like that looks like a, that looks like a real match they're at that the actors are clearly at a, at a proper game researched it afterwards March 27th 2004 so 18 years ago the match was West Ham 2 Gillingham 1 I recognised a few of the players so I saw Bobby Zamora I saw Michael Carrick I saw Etherington, Matthew Etherington Nigel Rio Coker and I was like to myself, I'm nearly sure that was David Connolly's head that just popped up. Sure enough, I looked up the starting lineup. David Connolly, you starred in Green Street. Yes, well, it's a kind of, um, yeah, I was uh, a, a very a very small, minor role. <laughs> <laughs> you were on the screen, though. That's a, that's a cultural phenomenon. Uh, yeah, very minor role. I mean, I, yeah, I do remember that. And um, you're, you're probably one of the many, well... I think it was. Uh, did it go straight to DVD? I don't, <laughs> did they bung you a few quid for your role? Did they? <laughs> yeah, no. If uh, if only. Shame. Uh, no, a, no. It was. It was. It was uh, it's a solid yeah. seven point two out of ten on IMDb. Like it's not a. But it's it, like it probably ages better. It's more of a. a like, I mean, Charlie Hunnam's um, London accent, Cockney accent, was absolutely horrific yeah. in it. But but will you be telling him that? <laughs> I won't be telling him that. <laughs> Hopefully, he doesn't see this clip in advance. But yeah. like, is that something? You, like, were the players talking about it at the time? Were you aware? Yeah, yeah. There was a film being made about the, you know, the, the hooliganism and the the firm. Obviously, a fictionalized version, but it was clearly a big deal at the time. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, look, it's good they used the real, um, you know, the the, the the real footage of the game, obviously. And uh, but you knew they were there in this in the stand. You know, we were just kind of like like the extras, you know, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but without the perks of of all the other bits that go with it. But no, so it's yeah, it was. Uh, um, I, I think I watched it once or twice, but um, you know that's kind of uh, you kept yeah. rewinding your little moments where you're on that you're on the screen uh, for a, for a couple yeah. of seconds for a couple of seconds yeah, <laughs> on exactly. DVD. Yeah, yeah, straight straight to DVD that one. I <laughs> no, I don't know. I think it did. I probably did all right in the. Can't remember. Ah, yeah. whatever. You've literally kiboshed like uh, your your meeting with the lads now by like, calling out accents and stuff. <laughs> I know. You better not put. They were both fantastic. Media. They were Elijah and Charlie. You were both great in the movie. So yeah. hopefully they see that part of the. Trip. How was David Connolly? Connolly was brilliant. Yeah. The movement Natural. up front was that was excellent. It was actually I think it was um, Bobby Zamora scored after three minutes and Etherington Matthew Etherington scored the winner on seventy six. I've done the research. Yeah. I'm ready to well, go here. I mean, I used to room with with Matty and. Um, you know, he'd phone, we'd go at like three in the morning, you know, and you're like, Matty, we've got a game tomorrow. But, uh, you know, I, I had to I had to leave him. We, 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 we had a bit of a separation, me and Matty. So um, <laughs> he, was, he was some guy, you know, but uh, a good lad. But you, you probably wouldn't want to, well, 
You've, you've, you've left that one open anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I've no idea where you're going with this. We had a, we've had we've had a comment on the on the bear behind you, David, for, for a number of times on the show. Fergus Keogh commenting, "Did yeah. the bear behind you have a late night, David?" He's he's one of the. Yeah. It's like Will O'Callaghan's dog. He's one of the many celebrities of the the background zooms on off the ball. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, he's kind of that bear's bigger than my son. This is my son's room, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so he's, I hope your son's in a better a, way. He looks a bit, he looks a bit dishevelled. He does. Um, he's had a late night, but fair play to him. Listen, it is good to like as, as as bad as you may look on a given day. Just put a like extremely drunk slash tired looking bear behind you. Yeah, it makes yeah. you look better. Like. Puts it in context. Yeah. David, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks a million for for your uh, chats this morning. Cheers, guys. Take care. Great stuff. David Connolly there, of course, the former Republic of Ireland international. It is 8.42am on this morning's OTBAM. And it is time for the US Open Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Yes, indeed. I love that sting. It's a. It's one of the great. It's one of the great moments. <laughs> Brings me back. Yeah. John Duggan, come in. Good morning. Shane and Johnny, how are we doing? Keeping well. John, I was there was a there was a guy there was a, a sports or a golf writer called John Huggan on the uh, on the show last night, and I was thinking, oh, they've got John John Duggan's name wrong on this. But uh, yeah, apparently there's a John Huggan as well. Well, all my exes say that I'm a good Huggan. <laughs> you must have been prepared for that line, uh, to be fair. But uh, no, John Duggan. We, we prefer we prefer John Duggan to John Huggan. Who's John, John Huggan, Huggan was great Huggan as well. He's a he's a golf writer as well, and he was a, he was a great journalist. He was on uh, with Joe last night preview, previewing the U.S. Open. But uh, mm. we wanted a John Duggan U.S. Open preview for Brookline uh, on this morning show. John, you must be excited. It's a uh, it's a fairly open field. It has to be said. Ah, yeah, 156 players, guys. Uh, three Irish lads in it. Rory, uh, I wouldn't. Uh, want anybody to win but Rory this week after the way he beat the SH1T out of the Live Golf Tour in his uh, Canadian Open win and his utterances about the Live Tour. So Rory's been fantastic this week. Uh, whether it's taken some energy out of him, I don't know. Uh, he's 11-1 to favourite to win the US Open. I really hope he wins it uh, first major in eight years, but he's not a betting proposition if you're going to have a euro each way. Like he's played, I, I estimated, 28 majors since his last victory at Valhalla in 2014. So it's just a case of watching Rory this week with Shane. Like he's 24th in the world now, but he's only won five times around the world uh, in his career. And uh, at the Masters, I'd be just a little bit worried by the way his uh, temperament got the better of him at the Masters. So like at the moment, he's playing probably the best golf of his life. I'd love to see him win. We know he played well at the US Open before at Oakmont in 2016. Shane Larry, I think the course of Brookline with the country club will suit him. Uh, but once again, I'm just going to leave him alone at 25 to 1. Once again, Seamus Power can give you a run for your money at 90 to 1. Uh, played very well at Small Greens at Pebble Beach earlier this year. But once again, when the pressure came on, kind of faltered a bit. He's only won once. I think he's getting to learn major championships once again. He could give you a run for your money as he did at the PGA when he was in the top 10 at 90 to 1. But can I see an Irish winner this week? I hope so much that it will happen, but I'm not so sure. It, it must be um, for golf punters. Roy McIlroy must, you know, represent a real dilemma, Jitty. Because what is it? Eight years since he's won a major, yet he's yeah. favourite for this. And it must be that feeling, like on a on a Sunday morning, where you're like, maybe I've gotten this right, and then Monday morning you wake up, why did I get sucked in again? <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I'm not going to do it this week. Mm. Uh, uh, like, he, actually, he's a really good each way bet in majors because he, he's got so many top tens in majors. So even at the Masters, you would have made a profit. 
I think he was 18 to 1 for the Masters. He would have made a profit at the Masters for him finishing second. So if you're if you're considering that this um, game that we do sometimes in pursuit of, of, of winners, all that, it's not about winners, it's about profit. So it actually, mm. virtual insanity started with a thousand virtually. It's exactly a thousand virtually as we come to June. So um, it's a, it's been a funny up and down year. So, but we haven't lost any any virtual money. So, like, there's, there's two ways looking at it that he's just going to flatter to deceive and disappoint you again. But on the other hand, if you're backing him each way to finish in the first eight or nine or ten, you'll probably make a profit. Like, I don't know what the stats are, John. Behind, like, I was trying to work it out the other day. Does does winning the Canadian Open put Rory in, a, in better stead to, to win? US Open this weekend or does it add to the to the pressure I guess it depends maybe how the, how the today goes his first round but it, it probably is quite difficult looking back to, to have won the tournament on the PGA Tour the previous week and then go straight into winning the major the following week Yes I read a stat I think it might be relating to the US Open that it's never happened before okay. and that Arnold Palmer was the closest actually at Brookline back in 1963 so Rory though in 2014 when he went on that streak when he won the Open in Valhalla he won I think three times out of four so Rory does uh, have the ability to ride streaks and uh, you see it in his body language you see that kind of gait in his walk the way he's like the Pied Piper and smashing the drives like PlayStation wise down off the tee 300 yards and that like his driving is such a, a huge thing for him because it puts him in a plan- position to have a platform to attack courses that other players are, are finding more difficult. So um, to me, it's all about mentality with Rory. It's not about his game. It's about those seven, eight foot putts for par. Uh, and it's about him having momentum. So do I think last week uh, is a negative? No, but I do think the U S open is a brutal test of anybody's mind as more as their game. And like to play last week, to have all this um, being the front man for this PGA tour battle versus live, uh, you know, uh, Rory needs to have three good rounds and at the moment in majors he hasn't been doing that so that's why I'm going to avoid him as a, in terms of tipping him So as you mentioned John 1000 euro and you're, you're, you've broke even for the for virtual insanity so far this year 11.45am start for the tea time so we're just three hours away from uh, the opening round getting underway at the US Open in Brookline your, your, your headline selection and I, know, I saw yourself um, defending defending this pick because people giving you grief and, and uh, you were pointing out that Patrick Antley at 28-1 to 1, is an insult uh, in terms of odds for him. He's a man that you've you, you've backed before, but surely this major win is is not far away. Well, people say that he's a, a guy that doesn't have a major pedigree, and he's only thirty years of age. Uh, he had I think three to four years out of the game with a, a back problem, and he had also his caddy and his best friend died. So he had to come back from a huge adversity, Patrick Cantlay, to become a player again. Like he's one, of, he was the top amateur in the world a decade ago. Uh, he won the FedEx Cup last year, so he's the best player of the PGA Tour last year. Um, he's only got two top tens and majors, and oh, you're going to the well, Patrick Cantlay again. But if you don't stick with people, if you're if you're zigzagging between different golfers every single week, you're never going to do anything in this game. Mm. So Patrick Cantlay, I think now he's he's come into twenty two to one since I t- I put him on the blog there a couple of days ago on on OTBSports.com. Like the only reason I don't think he's contended in majors is a lack of reps, as you would say. He hasn't played in that many majors relative to other players. Uh, he's had seven top tens and twelve starts this year. He's played well at courses with small greens, as Brookline does, and those courses were Pebble Beach and Hilton Head. He comes into this after a third of the Memorial tied for third. Uh, he's able to find the right spots. He's pretty unflappable. He's dusted Shane Lowry in the Ryder Cup. And I think winning the FedEx Cup last year and, and facing down John Ram shows that he's got chops to uh, be the man in the battle. And he's won Jack Nicholas's tournaments, the Memorial Tournament, twice in close finishes. 
So I think uh, in over 20 to 1 to finish in the top nine for the guy who's the fourth best player in the world rankings, I think is an insult. And I think he's going to contend this week. He starts early today. We'll know pretty much early on if he's blown it again after his missed cut of the PGA and his 39th of the Masters. But for 15 each way for virtual money at 28 to 1, I think Patrick Cantlay is a strong headline tip. Isn't that, it's funny as well, like watching Rory speaking to, to Justin Thomas after the end of the round of the Canadian Open, saying let's do this all again next week. You know, facing down a player like that, and, and Thomas and himself were level, I think, with, wasn't it, with a couple of holes to play. Rory's the one who gets the psychological edge and gets over the line with a couple of birdies. Similarly with Cantley, as you mentioned, like to, to have faced down John Ram and come out the other side with a win, those sorts of things stick in your head and you realise coming, coming down the last, if you're up against one of the big players in the world, knowing he can do it is, is a major thing. He, he shot a 64 to win the Memorial Tournament in 2019. He uh, then won the Zozo Championship, beating Ch- Thomas and Ram. And then Ram put him under pressure all the way through East Lake last year in that Tour Championship. And, and Cantley faced him down, especially on the 18th hole. So I don't think temperament is an issue with Patrick Cantley. And there's no real weaknesses in his game. He's an excellent uh, putter. He's brilliant around the greens, which you're going to need this week because these are small greens. And I just think the key thing about Patrick Cantley is he has the ability in his mind to find the right spots around the course and plot his way around the course and I think that's what's required this week Very quickly John you might just run us through your other selections on virtual insanity for the US Open Well Xander Schaffler is a good pal of Patrick Cantlay's uh, he's 25 to 1 for 5 each way he's the Olympic champion so once again he's had a big test in his career and he's passed it look at his US Open record tied 5th tied 6th tied 3rd 5th and tied 7th in all of his starts to date he's a US Open specialist he's a good driver of the golf ball he played well at the PGA He's got a bit of stardust, I think, with Xander Schaffler. I think he's a good each-way bet. Sung Jai Im of Korea for 40-1 to 1 for 5 each-way. A relentless worker. He lives in the Holiday Inns. That's what the kind of the joke they make about him because he's out there every single week. Three top 15s in a row coming into this. 12th off the tee in strokes uh, gained and also fifth around the green. Brilliant ball striker. If the putts drop, Sung Jai Im can win this. And finally, Listol in Ontario. I don't know if the Kerry people know that uh, there's a place called Listol in Ontario. Kari Connors is from there in Canada, 55 to 1 for 5 each way. Uh, they're all talking about Matt Fitzpatrick this week, that he won the US Amateur at Brookline in 2013, but the man he beat in the semi final was Kari Connors. Kari Connors is one of the most um, laser players with irons in his hand. And he hits it so close all the time. The putting was 181st two years ago, it's now 75th. He's improved that. I think he's a dark horse, a good each-way bet. So Kari Connors, Sung Jai Im and Xander Schaffler, the each-way kind of selections. But the headline each-way tip, lads, this week on Virtual Insanity for the US Open is Patrick Cantley. Great stuff, John. Thanks a million. Loving the, loving the Green Masters t-shirt as well, as always. Fair play. Thanks a million. All right, Jane. Johnny, take Cheers, care. Cheers, JD. That is the US Open Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! Now it is 52 on this Thursday morning OTBAM with myself, Shane Hannan, and Johnny Ward. It is time to say a very good morning to the former Munster in Ireland international, Keith Wood. Very good morning, Keith. Morning, Shane. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. I know you've had a, you've had a busy week. You've had, a, of all things, a Lions reunion this week. I know, yeah. Lions reunion, 25 years from, from 97, which is... <laughs> It was wonderful, actually. We're over um, over in England, and we had the vast majority of the squad, coaches, support team were there. So it was it's wonderful, actually, uh, poignant and wonderful in equal measure. There was no getting back on the pitch to kind of recreate some of those big moments from '97. It was all, it's, I'm sure, off pitch antics. 
Yeah, there were far more creaking bones than we had then, maybe. But it was, uh, yeah, it was. Look, it was a. You have to mark those moments of your life, I suppose. And it was really interesting. We had um, we had poor Tom Smith, of course, passed away a couple of months ago. Um, but his wife Zoe was over, which was which was amazing. Um, and of course, we've Doddy with motor neuron disease, and he's fighting the the best fight. I think he's raised for motor neuron in 13 or 14 million at this stage. It's been quite extraordinary. So, um, yeah, you have to take all of those opportunities to try and remember, remember those great days, those great people. But it was it was extraordinary um, seeing guys that you haven't seen. So I would have seen some of them over the years with the BBC and kind of on that little bit of a circuit. But there's some guys I hadn't seen for 25 years. So it's still great to see some of the passion burning um, bright in it. Um, I had the most wonderful conversation with Jim Telfer, um, 82 years of age, and I reckon he could still uh, marshal the troops if he had to. Um, the, the obsession and passion he still had was was burning bright. Doddy's been some inspiration, hasn't he? Like, I mean, I suppose it's been brought to fore by uh, Charlie Bird in Ireland of late. Um, but um, prior to that, even Doddy's just—I don't know—I can't think of another word. Actually, just inspiration. Yeah, I'm. I'm um, I don't know how long Doddy has it. They call it a three-year disease um, because most people don't survive past three years. Once you get it, Doddy is. I think it's about six years now for 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 Daddy, and uh, he's extraordinary. His family are extraordinary. Um, um, his wife was with him, and uh, and one of his sons, which you know, it just kind of partly shows some of the family that has to be part of everything that has ever happened for anybody's life. But um, his courage is is pretty extraordinary. It, but it, more than that, it's the smile. I mean, he's got this ludicrous grin and. Uh, twinkle in his eye and his uh, his speech is more halting now than than it has been but there still is pure humor in it um he wears it with an awful lot of grace actually and it's uh yeah it was it's amazing to see him it really was it's funny like the old cliche Keith like you don't know what you've got until it's gone and 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 even you know when you're in that moment in 1997 on that Lions tour you're in the heat of the battle you're probably not thinking about you know looking back a quarter of a century later and 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 enjoying those times that you had but when you're when you're sitting there at a reunion and you're seeing people like Doddy and having conversations as he said with people like Jim Telfer it, it, it must put, put it all in perspective for you like it, it, you kind of appreciate what you had at the time well it's a little bit surreal we were kids we were 25 well I was 25 there was some of the guys were like Eric Miller was 21 um uh, Matt Dawson was maybe 23, 24, Jeremy Davidson the same. Um, there was a huge amount of young guys in that team. You kind of forget that afterwards. And um, yeah, it was important. Look, it was an important part in our life. And you could see the level of emotion that was there for, for everybody. I mean, we're always kind of on the on the verge of a, an old tear. And there was the hugs and cuddles, as you'd see every every single time. It was just... And it was it was different. So we're all there with our wives, our partners. It's all um, uh, it's just nice, and you know, it's a nice part of our history. It was a, it was a thing that was was great twenty five years ago, and um, and it's a shared experience. I'm, I'm, Ian McGeekin had said a long time ago in that Lions video, but well, I would have said he said it to us, but it, it came out in the video that you know there'd be a time in in twenty thirty years hence where you just you know you'd share you'd share a look across a room sort of thing. It was incredibly evident um, over the last few days. So it was fantastic. 
Yeah, he clearly wasn't wrong, Ian, in, in, in what he said. Like very few Irish players on that '97 uh, British and Irish Lions squad. Uh, you had Martin Johnson leading leading the the surge as captain. Like I'm thinking to you know Paul O'Connell, the great videos of Paul O'Connell in Lions dressing rooms rallying the troops. '97 was a different era. You don't have the the cameras in the dressing room. You didn't have the social media age either. Um, so a very different feel. But what was what was Martin Johnson's leadership like in that dressing room in '97? Yeah, well, well, we did have we did have cameras because we had the video that was in there. Not not as if you'd see it live, but we we had that living with lines video that came out afterwards. Mm. Um, we had. Um, it was it was look it was very interesting because we were mostly amateur we'd just gone professional a year or two but we were still we were still amateur it was um it was different because you know you're doing awful lot of things right and you're doing awful lot of things wrong and you look back at it 25 years afterwards and you say what would you do differently and all that sort of stuff Jono was an unusual character we'd four irish guys wally eric uh jeremy and myself um and we would have followed Jono anywhere because he had a very calm authority. He, um, he he didn't talk a huge amount. He actually didn't like talking and he didn't think uh, some of the other players would listen to him from the other countries. So he was quite happy for uh, for me to talk a bit. I was Irish captain for Delalio to talk, for Rob Wainwright to talk, Yain Evans. Um, it was he was without a shadow of a doubt the leader, but it was some way egalitarian. You know, everybody had a voice. There weren't too many voices, but there was always uh, a voice from the corner if it was needed. So just deferred to him always, and uh, and pulled together afterwards. It's funny, like I was watching a video the other day of um, Rio Ferdinand on, on TV talking about that great English generation of midfielders in the, in the mid-2000s when you had the likes of Gerrard, Lampard, Scholes, Carrick, Hargreaves, you know, you had the best midfielders in the world all in one team. They were all leaders at their individual clubs and yet when they came together at international level, they couldn't seem to transform it onto the pitch and, and, and become the team. But clearly, in, as you mentioned, the Lions squad, you had Johnson, you had uh, Delalio, you had yourself as well, all leaders and, and captains and uh, you know figures of authority within your own international setups. But clearly there was something within that Lions team and, and Lions team since, it has to be fair as well, where those leaders kind of gel together and come together as one. Well, I, I, I think you defer to the, to the captain. Actually, that's what that's what ultimately what happens because you need to have one person that is uh, the lightning rod for for the rest, for the rest of the players, for the rest of the leaders, whatever it's going to be. Um, you, you can't be vying for, for 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 that sort of attention. You just can't, and it's one of the things you you, you kind of give up. I remember actually after Johnson retired, it was very interesting. Um, after he retired from England, I was in the studio with him for the BBC um, and England were playing Ireland and Ireland beat England and one of the reasons was there was four or five players for England who all thought they should have been captain and whereas before Johnson was the standout captain this time they were kind of almost vying for who made what decision and when and it was it just took a period of time for them to get stability and I mean that can happen and that's you know, sometimes you just need the right guy there in 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 that jersey with the armband because then you can follow him. You know, it's if other people think they should be there ahead of him. Um, look, for me, he was the best captain I played under. Uh, I I'd have followed him anywhere. You know, and so that was um, uh, so that was one of the good elements for us. But also there was a freedom that was given. It was interesting. It's a great article today uh, on cricket. Now this is totally different from Mike Atherton on Brendan McCollum's change as the coach for England. And that sense of sort of freedom of expression, 
We were given a, a template to play, but we were given a huge freedom of expression in 97. I know the game has changed an awful lot since, but you wonder sometimes whether some of that, um, that freedom of, of thought, of being able to make your own decisions at different times, whether that could be, um, you know, on, on back in vogue again at different times because uh, Atherton's piece is more along the lines of it being a uh, a change from the stage of the fear of failing and more sort of the joy and the expression of actually having a go and trying to get the blend of that right nearly at the moment could be could be relevant. Mm. Do, you, do you watch the game at times and point for that in the sense that you think it's almost too formulaic and too governed from above? Or uh, I do. I, I'm. I'm. Uh, it's funny. I you know I love the game. Still love the game and I love seeing it being expressed and. If it's played like chess, um, I think at times it's that there seems to be not a lot of joy, there's a lot of efficiency in it. Um, and I just feel sometimes under huge pressure, we tend to revert to slightly more conservatism, whereas you'd like to maybe revert to more uh, freedom for it. And I wish I did it myself, actually. So it's criticism on myself. I wish I'd enjoyed the, the a bit more without having to take as much of the pressure that was there on it. Um, I'd love to see, there's, there's been a lot of talk recently about, you know, partly because of Rassi Erasmus and the Lions Tour last year, which was just rubbish with, you know, running on, telling everything. I wouldn't, I don't think anybody should have an earpiece going on there. I think water boys should be water boys like ball boys are. Um, I don't think you should be directing the game from from uh, from the sideline. I think that should be left to the players on the field. You want the leaders on the field to come to the fore and let them make their own decisions and rise or fall by it. Are Ireland different like post-Schmidt um, uh, in that regard? Are they a little bit more sort of liberal or a little bit more free spirit? Uh, I, I think they definitely are. I also think that I don't know that we could have been uh, freer if we hadn't been through the, the Joe Schmidt era. I think there was a sense of discipline um, and attention that was very necessary. And I think Schmidt did, a, did an extraordinary job. But I think you can only do it in that fashion for so long. Mm. I think it then becomes harder to be energised by it. And I do think that Ireland have been energised by it. And I will say, it's funny, when you're when you're looking back, because if we do a bit of a reflection on our season that we've seen from the provinces, that, that Munster, for me, have been too prescribed uh, consistently. Um, I thought Leinster and Ulster, who have had phenomenal seasons, like really, really good seasons, until the last couple of weeks. And it's whether the they reverted to try to be more conservative at that stage or not. But I felt that they didn't play to the standards that they could have played in the last couple of matches. Now, they're put under huge pressure to do so. But it seemed as if they tightened a lot at that stage. And again, that's that piece of freedom where you'd like to try and get to. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's very hard when you look at it. What gets you, the most successful thing that gets you to the last weekends of the year and then doesn't quite work because people stop you at source, that's pretty much what happened in, 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 in all those ending, ending games. So um, you look, you want, it's funny, um, Leo Collin made a comment. He said, we want to make certain that Leinster are true to their DNA. And I don't know that they were on the last couple of weekends. I thought they became um, a little bit, um, not predictable, but 
a little bit nervous, actually. And uh, if they were true to their DNA, they'd have been having a cut constantly in every pass would have hit their hands because they were on fire for most of the season. So it, it's trying to get that little added blend for the last few weeks because I thought they were peerless for for the whole season bar the last two weekends. We're creeping up nicely, uh, Keith, towards this uh, this tour in New Zealand, just under two weeks until that opening tour match against the, the Maori All Blacks on, on Wednesday, June 29th. Then, of course, those th- three tests against uh, New Zealand on July 2nd, July 9th and July 16th, respectively, before returning home. Andy Farrell has named this, this 40-man squad some interesting inclusions, some interesting omissions, like five uncapped rookies. You have 12 players with, with less than 10 caps. Any, what, are the, what, are the, what are the headline, I guess, omissions and inclusions from your end? Yeah, I, and for me, I look, look. I enjoyed looking at the at the squad. I enjoyed the youth that was brought into it. I do enjoy the, the amount of players that don't have a lot of caps. I think it's fantastic. We have midweek matches, and you know it's a long year, but um, the midweek matches offer an opportunity to blood players better. And I hope that um, they'll be blooded in some of them and may make the test team on the back of it. Um, uh, I'm look. I look at this on the back of what's happened for the in the last month in in provincial rugby, where we've been not that we've been found out, but where we've been stopped at source. You'd like to see how um, how Farrell can change the philosophy for that not to happen. And I think there is a bit more freedom actually in the in the Ireland squad. I think he he plays with with a lighter touch. Um, uh, our coaches with with a lighter touch. I think he seems to have that idea of pressure and freedom is there, and he hasn't been afraid to make mistakes. And that's one of those great things because it's the kind of difference between excellence and perfection. Uh, if you're striving for perfection all the time, you're going to be grumpy, and uh, you know because you're going to make mistakes. Whereas if you're going for excellence, you know you're just going to go for a very very high standard and try and get there and achieve it. And you're going to make mistakes on the way. And it just feels like that is the case. It is incredibly daunting uh, as a tour, but I think it's the best tour for us um, a year out from the World Cup. We get to find things out on this trip, and uh, I think we have enough of time to make changes between here and the World Cup to try and get ourselves into a better position because we have the worst group possible in the World Cup. Uh, very, very tough. Um, we want to make a progression, and uh, for that to be the case, something has to change because we've always faltered at... Uh, a quarterfinal time and it would be great to see if we could move past that and I think that starts here It's funny how life comes at you so fast Jack O'Donoghue um, being named Monsters Player of the Year this week um, like he won the second of his only two Irish caps in 2017 which is quite hard to believe um, you know joint top try scorer for Munster this season an omission but I guess Keith the, the, the problem for Jack is that he's in such a competitive position yeah, I, I would have brought him, I have to say. Um, I thought he played, he was playing incredibly well earlier in the year. At one point, he was playing uh, a lot better, I thought, than Peter O'Mahony. Um, um, there's peaks and troughs in every season, but I'd like to see him get a run um, in a green jersey because I do think he has different elements that fit in um, and fit in. And he's a big, hard, abrasive player. And we need um, hard, abrasive players. And um, I would have brought him on it because not there's no you don't nobody deserves it actually you know you you, you get the chance you don't get the chance but uh, I think he might flourish in this in this Irish uh, in this Irish squad I, I look I do think that um, I do think this last year has been very difficult for Munster and Munster players um, and I don't think that their style has suited 
Ireland in any way, shape, or form, and I think that's affected in perform in in selection. Um, and I think he may be suffering a little bit from that. I just think he has some of the attributes that we require for Ireland. The Harry Byrne inclusion um, is a really interesting one. I know Brian O'Driscoll spoke on, on the show last night about how he feels Harry maybe needs to play one of the tests. Um, clearly, Johnny Sexton might, might not be capable of playing every single minute. Uh, and you have Joey Carberry there as well. But it's it's quite an interesting one. Like He's only played four games at number 10 all, all season, Keith. But uh, would you would you have included him as, as the backup number 10 if, if you were picking this squad? I'm, I'm, I've nailed my colours to the mast very early and it hasn't worked out yet. So I presumed Carberry would be the man and the more he played, the better he'd get into it. I also think he suffers a little bit from the style under which Munster played this year. Um, uh, but he needs to raise his own game to get there. Harry Byrne has been talked about for, for two or three years as being the, the guy, you know, he leapfrogged his brother. Um, and I would say that that's correct. Um because there may be more potential for Harry and that's what you're dealing with is potential. And so we, we know that Carberry can play very well. He hasn't played to the standard uh, of an international this year. So he needs to get into Ireland camp, get confidence, get playing, get playing very well. I think the exact same for, uh, for Harry Byrne. Um, uh, when, when people keep talking about who do we, who are we going to have in there afterwards, there's been a, a litany of players and none of them have, have grabbed the jersey. Um, there is talk about Kieran Frawley. I'd just like to see him play 10. I think he's more robust. Um, but one thing I will say is in the last couple of weeks, when, uh, when uh, Irish teams are put under huge pressure by bigger opposition, um, you then need to do something else and that something else has to be playing closer to the line. And Leinster continued to play under huge pressure, but they played behind the gain line and they were stopped behind the gain line. And so that requires a 10 to take it to the line. And um, at the moment, I don't know of any of the guys that are doing that. And that may be the issue for us because that's the thing that needs to be unlocked because if everything is done behind the gain line, unless every pass is absolutely perfect, uh, our teams seem to crumble somewhat. So they're put under too much pressure. The passes aren't good enough. A crumble for me is a pass that's a second longer to to, to be passed across the line because it's in, inaccurate. Um, because of the manner in which some of the teams play, it is that level of... Um, of delay can can ruin all the movement and can put you under pressure and um we you know we need options to go for that but nobody's putting their hand up and I'd still say Johnny played some of the best rugby he's played he doesn't have the pace of old and that's an issue um his mind is still operating at a far higher level than anybody else around him he just seems very very calm within it um but people have to challenge him for the jersey and it's not happening. So is, is this a real crossroads in Carberry's career then with the change in Munster and the fact that, I mean, he's just had so many injuries, so many false dawns. Um, is this is this the moment now where, he, where it needs to happen for him? Yeah, I don't know that they're false dawns because he, when he played, when he came on the scene at 2021, he was brought in to deliver at different times for Ireland and for Leinster and he did it. Now, he did a lot of it from 15, but he did do it. Um, and he was well able to play. Then he had a really bad injury. I thought he was finished a couple of years ago um, and was very nearly finished. I do think that it was almost rushed back to play in that World Cup four years ago, and that seemed to take a long time to get over. Um, uh, now, every player wants to rush back, and, you know, it's 
it's how do you make those determinations and they work sometimes they don't work at other times but it seems to have taken them a long time to get back to that uh, to that idea um I don't know I just I felt he'd kick on this year and he hasn't so that's something that needs to it's maybe the change by going on tour by being in camp if I go back to 25 years ago the joy of going on a tour the joy of being in a room saying that this is all you're going to do for the next period of time and there's a sense of of freedom almost to that to going in under management that uh, uh, know what it's like to play actually and know what it's like to to win which Farrell is, a, is an absolute born winner um, and to see how um, those guys can work on the psyche of some of the players on the technique of some of the players and try to bring them to the level that we always hoped that they'd get to and that's the that's the difference so we say potential for Harry Byrne we say potential for Joey Carberry well they haven't really shown what that potential is on the field so that needs to happen on this trip Keith great insight as always and fascinating to get those 1997 Lions memories as well thanks a million cheers gents Good stuff, Keith Wood there, the former Munster Ireland and, uh, of course, Lion as well. It is 9.14am on this uh, morning's OTBAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio coming across uh, the afternoon. 1 o'clock, OTB Gold with Dublin legend Jason Sherlock. At 3 o'clock, it's Leaders' Questions. 4pm, we have a retro panel for you, keeping a level head. And at 6 o'clock, OTB Gold, the Wexford 1956 memories with Ned Wheeler and Art Foley. And, of course, OTB Live... Uh, from 7pm this evening of course you can follow off the ball across all our social channels subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to download the OTB Sports app uh, for the latest in the best sports content and analysis we're back after the break with football journalist Martin Lipton OTB AM Quarter past nine on this Thursday morning's OTB AM with myself Shane Hannan and Johnny Ward just want to mention as well an event we have coming up you can join us at the Silicon Thomas Kildare Town on June 21st as we'll be looking ahead to the Dubai Duty Free Irish Derby Festival at the Curragh Racecourse we'll be chatting to Irish Derby legends Michael Kinnan Johnny Murda and Shamie Heffernan for an in-depth Irish Derby discussion and analysis and what it takes from horse and jockey to win the iconic race see otbsports.com and our social channels to register for that event. Right, very good morning to the Sun's chief sports reporter, Martin Lipton. Morning, Martin. Good morning. Uh, Martin, it's, there's ructions over there at the minute. I know football fans are fickle, but Gareth Southgate, um, what was it, a year ago, that takes uh, England to their best ever showing at a, at, a, at a tournament since, what, 66, 96? Uh, all of a sudden, it's gone south. They were awful on, uh, on Tuesday night, and they've been pretty ropey all four matches um, in this international break and it doesn't matter a bean in truth uh, it's pretty clear the players didn't want to be there that they'd had enough that they felt four games was four too many and you could see that in the, the body language and if you look at the results you could say the same sort of thing happened elsewhere as well look at France uh, and even Italy I mean they, they were pretty poor as well um, the test of, of Southgate will come in November and December as simple as that and I think it'd be wrong to get hung up on a series of fairly ordinary performances when the players, frankly, weren't interested. Why are they not interested? Like, I know, obviously, they're tired at the end of, of a long season, but at the end of the day, these players are, are, are in an England, England team, albeit probably the second or third choice England uh, starting eleven, with a World Cup squad on the horizon. These players are, are, are battling for a, for a place at a World Cup. You would have thought that, but I think all they did was bat themselves out of the place at the World Cup, in truth, some of them. Uh, I'll be surprised if we see them again in an England shirt, certainly over the next uh, 18 months. 
they just simply weren't up to it, were they? I mean, Bowen, Justin, and a few of the others were, frankly, poor. There's no getting away from that. That If there was an opportunity for them to grasp, they signally failed to grasp it, which probably clarifies Southgate's thinking, in truth. Um, before, it's in a bit of a question, is, you know, who is he going to leave out of the 26? Well, now there's not that many you could argue for to put in, so it makes it a lot easier for him to, to select his squad. Do, do you have any sympathy for the players, or is there any sympathy for the players over there? Um, I, I, I mean, first of all, I think it's absurd that this is a World Cup at that time of year, but I, I think players are asked so much now and to be at that level. I know they're very well paid, yada yada, but like, do you forgive them for a little bit of indifference in the middle of June for, I guess, glorified friendlies in their eyes? Well, given that I, I could have done without going to Molyneux on Tuesday, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I don't think anyone wanted to be at any of these games, did they? That was that was the issue, actually. Mm. Apart from the World Cup qualifiers, you know, for Wales, everyone would have been quite happy with two end-of-season games and then go. For and I know why they did it. It's because of the scheduling, because they've got to get these games in. There's only one international break in the, in the autumn before the World Cup. We know that we've got a World Cup in November. No, we can't change that now. It's what it is. They just had enough, and I think it's perfectly understandable, actually. A lot of them have been in very intensive domestic seasons, played themselves to a standstill, then had to try and go again after a two- or three-week break, which wasn't enough for them to, to downtime and not enough for them to uh, get ready for the next one. It was just it, it was, it was a fortnight too far. Um, and I think that goes for supporters, media, everyone. If you'd have told us all that the season finished on June 1, we'd have been pretty happy. And here we are on, on June 16 with it only just having finished. Do, do you, with your experience, Martin, do you, do you worry in a broader sense about saturation? Like, oh, I think there's far too much football nowadays, far too much football on TV. Like, does it get... I mean, at this stage, you're like, I've actually had enough now. I wouldn't mind a break. Absolutely. To be honest, I, I've stopped watching every game because you can't. Hmm. It's impossible to watch every game and have a life. Hmm. Um, so you have to be a bit more picky. I think that's the way it is for, for everyone. There are too many matches. The problem, of course, is there's going to be more matches coming ahead. You know, we have at least an extra four matches potentially in uh, Champions League from 24-25 season. Um, we're going to have... Got, no one quite knows what the shape of qualifying is going to be for these uh, new upcoming tournaments because obviously you've got 16 places for the 26 World Cup. You've got 24 up to 32 places for the uh, 28 Euros. Uh, it's there is just too much football. I think we. it's not difficult to say that. Everyone says it. The trouble is, the money men don't think there's enough football. And the money men are the people who run the game. Mm, I think it's. I think it's a real debate here. Like the expansion of the Euros is is utterly pathetic at this stage. Like, but uh, I think on one level, for players. Um, it's 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 not fair. I don't care what money they're on. They're paid according to the market. It's not fair to demand them like to play sixty games in a season. Um, but like the broader point Martin is getting at there is that like you get to a point where you're like you know I've I've had a bit too much of this. Like in football, you you can't have too much of it. And after a while, you're like you start thinking of. <laughs> other more relevant issues in life. But I do I do think football is in a dangerous place in that regard, Martin. I do. I think the trouble is I don't see any reason that it will change. If mm. anything, it gets worse uh, because you know you what you end up with is ludicrous summer tournaments that people are throwing out. FIFA want to have their Club World Cup. Uh, I'm told that FIFA's plan is to have three tournaments in three years: a Club World Cup, 
uh, into you know a continental championship and then a World Cup. That's the cycle. More football, less rest. Um, it just sort of eats itself, doesn't it? But what can you do? I mean, the trouble is, there might come a point when people say no, but until that point comes, they'll keep on feeding the beast. And unfortunately, it's ravenous. Yeah. Uh, and television is a ravenous beast. It's as simple as that. Yeah. That's what it is. And it is oversaturation. It's funny because when, when, say, for example, the World Snooker Championship is on at the Crucible April, every April or May, I will happily sit in front of the TV for three weeks and watch nothing but snooker. But it's for three weeks. Football at the minute, we have that saturation, but it's just drawn out across the entire year. Well, it's it's the fact that once they made that change from um, you know the resources coming through and the money coming through from people going going to the games, and I don't know if, if COVID changed the situation, Martin. Where there's obviously a market now. You see the tours that the the clubs have in Asia, where effectively they don't really care about who's going to the games, it's who's watching on TV and how they can monetize it. It's all about. The bottom line, it mm. really is. It's about shirt sales. It's about TV rights. It's about how they can sell the the club elsewhere. And of course, if one club's doing it, the rest have got to follow. Um, and they're, you know, where are they going this summer for pre-season? The clubs are going all around the world. The Premier League clubs. I think Liverpool are playing United in somewhere in Asia or Australia. Spurs are going to Korea. I mean, it's just, it's a constant whirl of of travel before the season starts. Now, I think a lot of the, the senior players will miss out uh, the f- first half of it and stay at home and do fitness work. But then the season starts for real in the first weekend in August. Um, and there is the, these two big chunks of football either side of a six-week break for the World Cup, which means more injuries because there's more games being played, particularly post-World Cup, where there's 22 Premier League games to be fitted in. And there's only an extra week at the end of the season. So um, in terms of when it ends, it's going to be horribly hectic. You've got to then fit it. You've got 22 uh, Premier League games plus up to six um, FA Cup games plus maybe seven European games plus the, the remnants of the League Cup, a couple of games there. That's an awful lot of football. Plus, also in March, here we go again, more internationals and the mm. start of Euro 2024 qualifying. Oh, joy. I, I, I'm sure, like, we didn't bring Martin on to talk with this, but I'm interested in, like, what's it like being an English football fan of your age? I'm, I'm not going to say you're a vintage now, but you're you're a man who's obviously... Are you saying I'm old? See, <laughs> like, I, I go back to when, when Swindon Town were in the Premier League, um, for some reason, I, I was kind of, like, uh, I was just getting into the Premier League at that time, and I remember when Man United came to town, and the whole place was mad, but Swindon was such a local club. Swindon, it was kind of a, a year in the Premier League or whatever, but it was such a local thing, and that was the start of the Premier League, but but now it's like all the fans are basically global. They're all sort of a lot of day trippers at games. Has it felt like um, you know, as the more globalized it's got, like has it lost something? I, I, I feel it has. Anyway, I'm speaking from somebody who's not not English. I think it depends what club you're going to watch. If you're going to Fulham, back in the Premier League. If you're going to Brentford in the Premier League or Southampton, I, I don't think much has changed. Mm. If you go to United or or Arsenal or Chelsea or Liverpool or Spurs. With their and City, with their growing international fan base, then it is going to be different. There will be day trippers in a way that there there weren't before. Well, that's the success of the Premier League. It's mm. marketed itself so brilliantly to become the sort of the global league. Um, you, you know, it, it goes both ways, doesn't it? You might complain about it, but it's that that allows your club to spend a hundred million on a striker. So you don't have it always. You know, you've got to have you've got to accept that it, there's, there's there's ups and downs to a 
to a globality of a tournament. And, you know, if if you're Manchester City and you've just signed Haaland or if you're Liverpool and just signed Nunes, well, you might not have been able to do that five, six, ten years ago, then you're you're very happy. Um, you know, the, the ones that are probably unhappiest are the supporters of the previously dominant clubs who are no longer dominant. So I'm looking there particularly, I suspect, at Arsenal and, and United fans. Mm. Because... For the first 15 years of the Premier League, effectively, they were the two dominant forces. No one could come close to them. They had all the best players. They outranked the other the other clubs financially and on the pitch. And they loved it. And they don't love it anymore because they're no longer number one. They're not even number two, three or four. They're numbers five and six. So there you go. Things change. Uh, Martin, just to bring it back to, to Gareth Southgate for a moment, and you, you mentioned you were at Molyneux the other night. I mean, certainly in, in Gareth Southgate, 74 games and, and six years as England manager, the 4 the 0 defeat the other night was, was unquestionably his worst result. Like, I heard a conversation with the lads were talking off the ball in the news round last night about. This this element of, of the English support that maybe uh, is a little bit more conservative in their political leanings and doesn't like the whole, um, you know, going on one knee for, for Black Lives Matter, the, uh, I guess, the liberal leanings of, of Southgate, maybe this English team. Like, is there an element of a certain cohort of English fans that have been waiting in the long grass almost to, to, to start these chants of you don't know what you're doing and to, to jump on Gareth Southgate as soon as there's a sniff of something going wrong? Well, they got beat 4-0 at home. What do you expect? <laughs> well, there is that too, yeah. They haven't scored a goal, a goal in open play in four matches. They've been rubbish. The manager's going to get some stick. He's also he's a big enough boy to bat it off because he knows it's what it is. If they were playing well and winning, you wouldn't have any of this. I do think there are some who are still angry at him taking the squad and, and being wanting the, the squad to be more representative of the country as a whole. And I think that actually England, Britain has become a much more socially liberal uh, society over the last 20 years. I don't think anyone could really argue that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people within that society who are not socially liberal. We know that. Um, There are, you could argue, some populist politicians, and not just in the UK, but across the globe, who pander to those leanings. Um, Football has always had uh, a strongly... um, a strong connection between the supporter and the and the team, uh, and sometimes that has veered, no question, beyond the sporting context and into a political one, and into uh, occasionally in many countries, not just here, uh, an openly um, nationalistic political uh, support. We've seen it in in many countries. It's not just in, in England. Uh, there have been efforts, huge efforts, to try to sort of uh, cleanse. The, um, the 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 supporter base of, of England fans, but you can't um, realistically change everybody's view, and you can't stop someone coming to watch the national team because you don't necessarily share their politics. It's a national team, which includes people of of all castes of political thinking. You know, the England football team. I reckon over many years has been the players have probably been more Tory voters percentile than the country just because of economics is what happens. Um, Mm. There is now a slightly more liberal social and political mindset within the squad. But I I wouldn't say that's universally shared between all all the 30 England players. I suspect there's still more than enough of them uh, and probably even a majority 
who are politically their natural home might be sort of soft right well that's that's allowed too I think we're in a lucky place in Ireland where like the DNA of like the Irish football team has changed ra- like drastically in the space of what seems like a few years and uh, uh, everyone has just embraced it I think yeah. anyway because um, we're getting a little bit better maybe you know? <laughs> hopefully yeah once the on-pitch uh, results stay, stay the way they are then then you can only be, be happy like on-pitch wise for, for England Martin like I guess some people point to an over-reliance on Harry Kane uh, John Stones' performance even before sending off was was wasn't great and, and like when you look at a pair, pairing with himself and, and a below par at times Harry Maguire as they hurtle towards Qatar might not fill English fans full of confidence maybe Jordan Pickford picked a good night to not be between the post Aaron Ramsdale had a night to forget as well like <clears throat> on the pitch like well, where are this English team set like it's only 12 months ago as I said that they were in the European Championships final so it can't be all that bad they're a very good team we just had a bad few days I can live with that um, the issue is Obviously, at the back, they've got lots of options going forward. They've got to get their shape right. He, at no point in these four games, played what I think you would call his strongest team. The nearest to it was probably the Germany game, where they played okay. And the longer it went on, the better they were, particularly when Grealish came on. Um, They'll be there or thereabouts. I still think that the the winner of the potential quarterfinal between France and England probably win the tournament. still think that and I don't see any reason to, to change that view on the basis of a few dodgy results in games that no one's that fussed about the idea of being over-reliant on your best player well they don't say that about Argentina too often they don't say that about um, Poland being over-reliant on their best striker Lewandowski no he's, he's, he's the best player uh, but around Kane you also had uh, options of Sterling and Foden and Mount and Grealish that's not bad, is it, really, to have four of those that you can you can throw in, and Saka and others. Um, could be a lot worse than that. I think the in- interesting would be who plays alongside Rice at the uh, in the centre of midfield. I don't think Bellingham did himself any favours over these last few games. So Phillips, who's still very leggy and not fit, as we can see that, he's nowhere near uh, the fitness levels he was at this time last year. Uh, and if he moves to City, that would be really good for him, and I think it's likely he does be playing for them under Guardiola he'll be a much better player very swiftly and that's not to be detrimental towards anything that Bielsa or Marsh have done I mean Guardiola is just one of the greats isn't he so that will make him a better player Stones looked a bit leggy I agree I think it'll be interesting what shape Southgate goes into the tournament with does he go with a three or a four I suspect that the group that England are in have boosted the chances of um, Alexander-Arnold starting in the World Cup now because I think England will have plenty of the Ball against Iran and the USA. Whereas if they were playing in a, a you know in a group with Spain and, and Germany, I one of those two, and that was the first up, it'd be a different team with a more defensive-minded right back. You know, all of these things can can change and evolve. But if you're Southgate, I don't think you're worried. I think you're excited about what your team can can bring to the party when it really matters in November. And you talk about an over reliance on Kane. The one thing that Gareth doesn't want is for their, for him not to have Harry Kane, who is a, a guaranteed source of goals in big matches. Very finally, Martin, uh, like it's, you've already mentioned Erling Haaland and, and <clears throat> Darwin Nunez, and it's been a busy transfer window so far, but uh, really standout move from uh, this week for, for Tottenham. £30 million for uh, Yves Basuma from, from Brighton. Only 25 years, years of age as well, and he joins Fraser Forster and Ivan Perisic as uh, Spurs signing so far, but uh, Basuma looks a, a seriously, seriously smart move. 
But he's a very good player. I mean, obviously there's issues, uh, and I'm assuming the Tottenham have spoken to Fighton um, and reached out to the the police as well to ensure to be told that there's no likelihood of things developing negatively in that potential court case against him because that would be a bit of a problem I think it's fair to say but yeah I mean he makes them stronger I suspect that Hoberg's the one who misses out I think he might play him uh, Basuma and Bentancur as his first choice two in there um, but he also needs with Champions League he needs to be able to rotate the squad uh, and I think that's what you're looking at with Sessegnon being the sort of cover for Perisic at left back um, I think Doherty stays now. They'll get rid of Emerson Royale, but uh, Jed Spence and Doherty will share right wing-back duties. Um, and then I still think they're going to get Eriksson probably in um, on a free from Ventford uh, you know, to return to the club. They do need a striker, but they're in for Richarlison, it seems, and they've also had a little tickle at Gabriel Jesus. So they're, they're not being uh, shy of spending money. Um, they look to be in a good place, don't they? I think you, you, at the moment you would look at it and think Spurs... I've got a real chance to be in best of the rest behind Liverpool and City. And they'll harbour hopes with the front three in particular um, of getting closer than that. Yeah, the, the Premier League fixtures for, for next season have been released in the last half hour, Martin, as well. And Spurs have Southampton at home on the opening day. In a word, Martin, where do Spurs, fin- <clears throat> excuse me, where do Spurs finish next season? Third. Third. They'll take it. They'll take it. Martin, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Thanks. Great stuff. Martin Lipton there, of course, Chief Sports Reporter with The Sun. And, uh, Johnny, I'm just looking at these fixtures that I mentioned that are out uh, in the last half hour. So, champions Manchester City face West Ham away on the opening week- opening weekend. Of course, we'll have that mid-season break, as we mentioned, for Qatar. So, no top-flight games after the weekend of 12th, 13th of November until the 26th of December, Stephen's Day, uh, because of the World Cup. Uh, the first game underway on Friday the 5th of August, when Crystal Palace host Arsenal. It's not that far away. Less than, uh, less than two, uh, two months. Liverpool open at promotion. Fulham with Nottingham Forest at Newcastle um, the World Cup of course starts on the 21st of November with the final on the 18th of December eight days before that Premier League season uh, resumes no meetings between the Premier League so-called Big Six on uh, that weekend of 12th to 13th of November the one before the World Cup that follows a request by the FA to keep the the, uh, the big games apart so uh, for uh, the, the first round games in full for anyone uh, interested 5th of August as I mentioned Crystal Palace versus Arsenal on the 6th of August then on the Saturday Bournemouth versus Villa Everton Chelsea Fulham take on Liverpool it's Leeds United versus Wolves Leicester City versus Brentford Newcastle as I mentioned take on Nottingham Forest Tottenham home to Southampton and then the two games on Sunday 7th of August Manchester United starting at Old Trafford at home to Brighton and West Ham against champions Manchester City were you one of those kids when you were younger who were eagerly awaiting the release of the opening day fixtures I, I can't remember being mad into it as a kid but you certainly look out for your own team's big games yeah, it probably was, um, but yeah, it does kind of feel like the the carousel never stops. Like we're 16th of June, we're in the middle of a kind of yeah. a, at the end of a like obviously a bunch of games that England had no interest in, and we have the fixtures for next year. Um, but uh, to be fair, it should be a should be an intriguing uh, Premier League season, all right. Um, I, I kind of have some sympathy for the England players, or for just feeling like they've had a bit of enough of it at this stage. I think the demands are. And you, you you get a lot of abuse if you don't perform, so like you can't have it every way. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Johnny, been great stuff this morning. Thanks, Thanks as always. It's, uh, you've started the uh, the trend of, of shorts in the office. As a man who cycles constantly, you have the legs for it. It has to be said. So I might try that. I might try it the next the next day we're co-presenting together. We can go double on shorts. I've never been as uh, happy to be told by a man you have the legs for it. You know, <laughs> Shane, you're a fit man. I mean that in a sporting sense. Thank you very much, yeah. Johnny. On that lovely note. Why? <laughs> <laughs>
Do I? <laughs> Do I? On that lovely note on this uh, Thursday morning, uh, that is enough from us. Uh, we have uh, been brought to you live each morning, of course, by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. OTB AM back tomorrow morning from half past seven, the very usual time, with Adrian and Owen back in studio and joined by Irish hockey player Roisin Upton, along with Kevin Kilban, Alan Quinlan and much more. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.